Welcome to episode 54 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on October 23, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor at GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. Corey, how you living, sir? I'm doing well, Brad, but I, I'm sorry to break it to you that you are not 50% of the show tonight. You and I are actually both 33.3 repeating percent of the show tonight. <laughs> and would you like <laughs> to tell the audience why? I was wondering if someone's going to bring that up. Uh, yes, I absolutely would. Thank you for correcting my math, sir. Uh, before we jump into games chat, and uh, yes, we are still using last week's banter at the end format. If you want the banter, please listen to the end. That's where it's at. Uh, I am happy to introduce tonight's special guest, only the second guest to ever appear on the So Video Games show. He is longtime critic and staffer at GameCritics.com. It is none other than Dan Weisenberger. How you doing, Dan? Fantastic as always, and let me just say I'm honored to be here. <laughs> well, you are you are the honorable number two, Dan. Thank you very much for being oh, here. <laughs> Come on. Uh, sorry, that was an easy one. We've yeah. been talking for a while, folks. We're feeling a little loose right now. Um, if you missed the last few episodes of this format, um, it might sound weird to you. Wait a minute. What am I saying? If you missed the last few episodes of the show, our new format might sound weird to you because I know a lot of people are used to having the banter at the beginning. But like uh, Corey said last episode, we're still experimenting with the structure. We're going to keep going with banter at the end tonight, so we're going to just get right into games chat. So if you want to hear the banter, if you want to hear more from Dan, you want to hear a random bullshit, the stuff that we usually do, the unnecessary uh, content that we uh, have usually been having at the beginning of the show, it's all for you there at the end. It is still there. But in the meantime, we're going to jump right into the good stuff for the people who don't want to hear that. And let's get into it. Um, oh, also, first, before we get into actual games this week, there were a slew of games-related topics uh, bouncing up and down all around on Twitter this week. We're not going to do a deep dive, but I thought since Dan was here, we might as well talk about some of these topics, and we'll just run through them kind of rapid fire. Uh, gentlemen, first news topic, which was actually a pretty recent one. I just heard about this last night. Uh, apparently... NeoGAF has died. Um, the owner, well, for those who don't know, NeoGAF is a well-known website where people went to the message boards and talked about all sorts of stuff. Um, pretty well-known. You had to be approved. It was kind of like, I mean, I don't want to say it was like a badge of honor, but like people kind of looked at you funny if you weren't on NeoGAF boards sometimes among certain circles. Uh, the owner seems like he's having some kind of trouble with sexual harassment charges. I don't know all the ins and outs. We're not going to really dwell on that too much, but apparently he's having some troubles and the site is gone. Something that was like a pillar, a mainstay of uh, games chat online is just in like the span of like one or two days gone. Um, I'm going to ask you both right now. Did you go to this site and do you care that it's gone? I'm going to go to you, Dan, first since you're the guest. I do not spend a lot of time on forums, so it's not going to affect me personally, but I have gone there a bunch of times for research and to find out about games. It was a good resource for just people, both people's opinions and where to track down obscure games. Like, I was always able to find good links and good leads from there. So I'm going to be sad about that aspect of it because I wasn't an active member, though. I mean, it's not going to affect my day-to-day -day life. Corey, what about you, man? Um, I literally 
don't think I've ever used NeoGAF. I don't think I've ever been there. I don't think, I mean, I certainly have never posted on it because I would remember that. So really my life is just going to continue on like it always has been and be completely unshaken. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, as for me, um, I did join NeoGAF like years ago, back when it was supposed to be like the place for critics to go. I mean, that was a while ago. I don't think it held that status recently. Um, I joined up. I think I went to it like a couple times. And then I like, I literally have not been on that site in probably like eight or nine years. Um, I think, I mean, I don't know firsthand, but I heard a lot of people say it was really going downhill. It became kind of a hive of scum and villainy. I don't know how true (laughs) that is. Um, But, you know, if the owner's having sexual harassment issues, maybe other people there are having, uh, I don't know, similar behavior problems. Who knows? I don't know. But I did not go to the site, and I honestly don't care that it's gone because I would not have known that it was still around for, like, almost the last nine years. So not bothered. Seems like none of us here are broken up about NeoGAF. Um, I'm going to pour, not really a 40. I'll pour a couple drops out of my coffee cup for you. (laughs) And we're going to move on, I think. Um, Second topic, gentlemen. Uh, There was a whole lot of talk about loot boxes this week. Looty, looty, loot boxes. Um, lots of issues around those. Are they gambling? Are they not gambling? Do they play uh, on people's addictive tendencies? Is it something to keep the kids away from? Is it bullshit? Is it fine? Do, do developers need them for income? Do they not need them? Is it a scam? All sorts of different issues. What is your take on loot boxes? Dan Weisenberger, what's your take? Well, I'm definitely against loot boxes. I mean, I've previously mentioned, and you know, I'm sure people want to hear it at the end, that I won't play anything that doesn't have an ending. I won't play any just online, massively multiplayer game. You know, I, I play so many games a year, I can't afford to get hung up on any particular one. And that's where most of these things seem to congregate. And so they haven't affected my life at all until just this past month with the Shadow of War loot boxes. And personally, it's one of the things that made me not pick up the game was knowing that my success in the game is going to be weirdly randomized. Like, there's a certain amount of randomization I'll take anytime there are loot drops. I mean, what would be Monster Hunter without the risk and reward of what kind of part you're going to get? I completely get that. But to build the entire game's progression system around randomly unlocking things has always seemed crazy to me. And when... You're essentially, when you go beyond just building the game around that to charging people real money for it, I'm like, yeah, it goes from just annoying gambling to gambling that just shuts down the whole game for me. Right on. Right on. I hear that. Corey, what's your feeling on loot boxes, man? I mean, you maybe maybe you don't have a lot of loot box uh, interaction, but I bet Patrick probably does. Does he have a take or do you have a take? Um, I mean, Patrick's sleeping right now, so I can't like wake him up and ask for his take. But uh... go, go wake him up real quick. Just go wake him up. <laughs> Patrick, uh, what do you think about loot boxes? We want to know. I mean, he plays... The only game he plays that has loot boxes is Overwatch, and I think that he doesn't really... I don't really know if he has an opinion about it. Because he doesn't, like, pay for them. Like, he just, like, unlocks them in the game and opens them and then does that. He's not one of those people that, like, you know, puts, like, 50 real-world dollars into the game. Um, so he's not, um, like... I, I guess doesn't, like, pay for them. Um, I mean, I don't... I haven't done a lot of research on this topic, which is not good because I co-host a gaming podcast and here I am not doing research <laughs> on a topic. But um, I mean, I, I sort of feel like, like 
the game the game development sphere has and has been for a long time and probably i mean hopefully not but maybe will be for a long time um in a very toxic development space and by that i mean games cost a hundred bajillion dollars to make and i mean if they're like you know double a to triple a games not like an indie game with like two people but hey even indie games take a lot of money to make and um, video games take a, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of manpower to make. A lot of it is contract work. A lot of it is crunching. A lot of it is people being away from their family and their friends and their loved ones so that they can work on these games, you know, like, you know, overtime and overtime and overtime weekly. And uh, I mean, loot boxes is just the next wave of developers trying to get paid. And like, I, and, and I, I support that because I mean, people need to get paid for the work that they're doing and the video game industry needs to like figure its shit out so that way you know people can get paid appropriately for what they're doing and you know have benefits and have uh you know like health insurance and this kind of stuff um i have yet to play a game that puts loot boxes into a into a position that makes me feel like i I like need to buy them or need to play them because I had heard like I haven't played Shadow of War, but I had read some tweets on the internet here and there of people saying that the whole situation was blown out of proportion and that you didn't need to buy loot boxes to actually finish the game and that the game was like perfectly fine to play, but you could just choose to buy them if you wanted to like upgrade your equipment sooner and stuff like that. So I feel like, as with any topic on the internet, it's getting blown way out of proportion. But I think the root cause is that the video game development sphere is really toxic and it needs to figure out a way to be better regulated, whether that's through unions or whether that's through better publishers or something like that. And I mean, we kind of went through this, I mean, back, you know, toward the Xbox 360 era with, you know, DLC. That was the thing everybody wanted to know, like oh, well, now we have DLC and now we have pre-order bonuses. Um, does that mean that, uh, like, developers are going to make 70% of the game and then charge us the rest of the money for the DLC so that way they can get paid? And, I mean, I'm sure there's cases where that has maybe happened, but I feel like that's not really a thing. Like, it's rare that I play a game and I feel like I didn't get the complete package. I mean, patches aside, but patches are free. Um, and then, you know, have the developer be like, oh, well, here's the DLC so you can get the rest of the game. I, I just feel like it's all blown out of proportion. And I feel like uh, just this reflects on gaming as a whole that needs to be handled better from a publisher perspective, from a developer perspective on um, the development cycle and the toll it takes on people and how they can best, you know, get paid and survive to make games for a living. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I think um, we're along similar lines there. Um, I mean, my particular take on loot boxes is that, is that they're trash, and I kind of would want them to go away. I mean, I'm definitely all in favor of developers getting paid, but I also think that publishers need to, like, uh, rein it in a little bit and stop getting so crazy with the expectations. I mean, um, I forwarded you guys an article uh, before the show that was talking about how so much money could potentially be made by uh, playing on loot boxes and other in-game purchases like you know like way more than people would uh would pay the developer just or the publisher just from buying the game so i mean i you know i get that that's a revenue stream that people are tapping into uh but at the same time i mean just looking at what a loot box is i mean for me if i want to buy something in a game like let's say that you know maybe there's some 
in-app purchases. Like, I would rather just buy the specific thing that I want. I'm happy to do that. I'm no, I am not shy when it comes to DLC or add-ons or whatever. I mean, for example, let's look, let me look at Warframe, for example. Free-to-play game, and they charge you, you can play most of the game, no problem, but there's like a ton of like cosmetic things for your character, and your character looks really cool, you want your character to look sweet. I've dumped, you know, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 bucks into that game, no problem, because I get to pick and choose exactly what I want. If that was loot boxes, I don't think I would have paid anything, and I would have actually lost a lot of respect for that game, because, I mean, if it's a cash loot box, you're hoping that you get the thing that you want, and then if you don't, I mean, you not generally, you don't have any use for that thing that you got that you didn't want. I mean, it's kind of a waste of money, and if it's a loot box bought with um, in-game currency, usually you have to spend time, time to, like, earn that in-game currency, and then you buy a loot box with that in-game currency, and if it's not the thing you want, well, all that time is wasted then, so you just have to play more. I think loot boxes are just like a waste, no matter like no matter how you slice it. I mean, if it's a fun thing, that's just a bonus, that's no big deal, whatever. I mean, okay, I guess, but like I would much rather have people have a very specific path to get what they want, or developers can charge exactly what they want. If it's cool, if it's fun, if it's worthwhile, people will pay for that. If people like your game, they'll support your game. But to to prey on this like kind of gambling streak that people have or to make people waste either their time or money by not giving them the thing that they want, I think is really dirty. I'm not a fan of loot boxes at all. I mean, I think in the case of Overwatch, they're pretty innocuous because I don't really give a shit about the skins or the emotes or whatever. Like, that's all just like, oh, I got it, cool. Or, oh, I didn't get it, oh well. Like, it doesn't affect the game in any way. So I think that's that's fine, and I'm not really, like, in the Overwatch circle, so it doesn't bother me too much. But anything more than that, like, you know, anything that can affect the actual game, anything that can affect your progress, anything that you, I mean, God forbid, anything that you need, that just to me is awful. I wish loot boxes would go away and I wish developers would be just a little bit more honest. Um, but you know, apparently, apparently there's a lot of money to be made on loot boxes and people are getting greedy. So, um, maybe we need to look at like how, like you said, Corey, like how the financial systems of the industry run, how can people get paid fairly without taking advantage of players? I think there's a lot of really bad practices going on. I don't know if loot boxes are going to be ruled gambling or not, but I think that people should really take a hard look at those and see if that's really the path that we want to keep on. Um, I'm, I'm thinking no, but I mean, as long as people keep paying, you know, the answer is going to be yes. So, all right, loot boxes, there's that uh, topic. Uh, the last topic I wanted to touch on really briefly, you guys, was kind of sort of related to the economical issue that we were just talking about with loot boxes. Um, this week was uh, the death of, of single player, the death of the one player game. Uh, Electronic Arts closed Visceral Games. Uh, they had been working on a Star Wars game, a single player. Um, people had said it was kind of like an Uncharted style Star Wars game, like, you know, heavy character focus. Uh, traditional type of adventure, very cinematic. Uh, they've been working on that for, I think, two or three years, uh, pumping that up, getting that ready for EA, and then EA decided to stop the production on the game and close the studio. I'm sure you guys know that Visceral was responsible for a number of um, good games. I mean, they did uh, the Dead Space series. They did um, Dante's Inferno, which I thought was actually much better than people give it credit for, um, a number of other games. So they were a pretty pretty solid studio. And Dead Space, of course, was their big dog. But uh, anyway, after they had announced the closing, EA said that they were looking at the one-player model and thinking that that was not what players wanted anymore, and they were pivoting it towards something 
more towards like Destiny, where it's like, you know, you go in, there's like maybe perhaps no ending, more loot boxes or in-app purchases. Um, and as soon as that happened, everybody and their fucking brother jumped on Twitter and was like, one player games are dead. They're dead. They're so dead. Um, you guys, from the tone of my voice, can probably guess which way I'm leaning on this, but uh, <laughs> I want to hear your takes, whether it's on EA, on Visceral, or about this this concept in general. Do you think one-player games are dead? Dan, what do you say? I think one-player games are fine. I mean, that's a lot of that is because I play a lot of indie games. I mean, if the question was just A major publisher released... One player games are dead. There might be worth something worth talking about, but there's no sign of one player games going away anytime soon. But even in the big budget field, you got to remember, this is just a, a North American, Western Europe thing. There's still throughout the rest of the world, like triple A single player games being made all the time. We just had, you know, um, Evil Within 2 come out. Capcom is devoted to making great big single player experiences you know and a lot of japanese so is square enix and there are plenty of big publishers out there focusing on the single player experience it's just these couple of american companies who have turned everything into a mobile game who are using free-to-play economics in every single game and yeah it's making them look bad and i'm very sad that we're not going to get a new star wars action game which would have sold like five million copies perfectly fine copies that i don't know that destiny star wars is going to sell so yeah i'm 100 percent yeah. uh, opposed to that sort of thing uh, opposed to this focus on the monetization and everything online and everything multiplayer but at the same time i'm not worried about the fate of one player games fair enough fair enough uh, i i agree with you in large part but i'm gonna hold my comments for now Corey, what do you think man are one player games dead uh, one-player games are not going anywhere anytime soon. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that brevity. I love that brevity. <laughs> well, I'm with you guys. I think that is... I, the fact that people even said that to me was ludicrous. It was ludicrous. I mean, I think this kind of ties into the loot box, the monetization that you just mentioned, Dan. You know, people are sniffing all this cash that's going into in-app purchases and these endless games and... Uh, games that just keep people coming back and coming back i don't think that everybody wants a destiny i don't think everybody wants like games as a service i know that's the new sexy hotness right now but as as much as some people are jumping into some of these games not all of them are taking off and so if you pivot towards that you know not there can only be like so many endless games in a person's life we kind of talk about this at the end of the show but you know i'm a pretty busy guy i have a lot of stuff to go that i need to take care of I can only do like one or maybe two games that like don't have an ending right now um, in addition to everything else. And even that's pushing it. I mean, I play Puzzle Quest and I noticed that um, Puzzle Quest is kind of falling by the wayside because I've been playing Warframe. So between those two things, that eats up a lot of my time. I'm not going to be able to support four or five other games. And like whatever EA launches is, I mean, forget about it. I'm not going to jump into that. So there's only so much money and time to go around. And after a while, I think people are going to be really sick of games as a service. There's... It becomes obvious to me anyway that after a while, certain certain titles just are there to milk you and they just want to just drain you, drive all your cash. And that can only happen for so long. I mean, I've heard a lot of people right now say they're already getting really tired of Destiny. They feel like that's already run out of gas and that's supposed to be like a 10-year franchise. Uh, who knows if that's going to make it, but it seems like that's already getting tired. And I see a lot of people 
really wanting other things. I've heard a lot of people say they wanted a new KOTOR. They didn't want, like, another Star Wars skin Destiny. They wanted something that they could go on and have a party and have a traditional adventure. I think there's a lot of desire for that out there. Um, I also think that publishers... Well, I, I think you're correct, Dan, in saying that it's kind of a North American thing. Uh, publishers getting nuts, although I will say Square Enix is kind of nuts, too. EA and Square yeah. Enix, to me, are both the nuts right now, where a game can sell... Like, for example, I was uh, reading an article about Dead Space 2, which was, I think, a critical success, a uh, very well-received game. That sold, I think, about 4 million copies, which to me sounds like a really good number, but that was nowhere near what uh, EA wanted to get out of it. You know, they thought that was a financial flop. And what was it with Square Enix and uh, Tomb Raider? Like, that, that game sold, like, what was it, like 10 million copies or something, and they still felt like it didn't sell enough? It was, was under that, projection, was... yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was some ridiculous thing. Um, you know... If that's the way publishers are going to be, that's ridiculous. That's not a sustainable model. I mean, you can't put all your eggs into one basket. And if that one basket doesn't sell, then say that the whole genre is dead. I mean, that's ridiculous. I think publishers need to dial it the fuck back. Like, don't put $50 million into a game. Like, make a more reasonable game. If a game sells $2 million, view that as a success, not as a failure. Um, let's get more realistic expectations, you know? It just seems like... The money is just driving people crazy right now, and it's making them just lose their minds. I, I don't think one-player games are going anywhere. I think there will always be uh, one-player games. Just like just like no one ever says, oh, oh, I heard fiction's over. Fiction's done, <laughs> you guys. No one's writing fiction anymore. Or no one ever says, like, oh, comedies. Comedies on TV, they're done. They're over. Like, you know, they may be popular or less popular, but they don't go away. It's like, it's like a genre. It's like a thing. It's just yeah. one aspect of this medium and for someone to say, well, one playing games, those are going away. That's insane. That is in fucking sane. So I don't think yeah. they're going away. It sounds like you guys don't think they're going away. I think that we are all agreed. Boy, we're all kind of uh, we're all we're all kind of in agreement <laughs> on all these topics. I didn't think we were going to get any big disputes, but uh, I think we are all of one mind. Is that a good thing? I guess. I mean, I suppose so. Well, since we're all right, yes, absolutely, it's a good thing. <laughs> if the three of us were wrong, I would be worried. But that's simply not the case. That is that is a very good point. That is a very good point. All right. We have talked our talk, talking points. Let's get into the meat of show and our focus on what everybody is here for, presumably, is the games chat, uh, what we've been playing. Uh, we're going to get right into it, keep the show moving along. Dan, you are the guest tonight, as I've said. Why don't you start us off? What have you been playing lately, sir? The Mummy Demastered. What does demastered mean? Uh, you know, it's a play on remastering. How um, it's essentially their way of announcing that they've made a demake. But the twist is, it's a demake of a game that doesn't exist. So the, there was no mummy video game for this to be the fake sixteen-bit version of. It's just a fake sixteen-bit game about the movie The Mummy. So to be clear, why don't you set us up? This is about what the Tom Cruise movie that just came yep, out recently. Tom Cruise movie The Mummy. It's and the, the kind of genius of it is it's as loosely based on the movie as 16-bit action games tended to be back in the 90s. You know, when they would make a movie based, a uh, game based on True Lies or something, it would have very little to do with the movie True Lies or Judge Dredd or the best of them, Alien 3, right? And so right, right, this right. is the same kind of thing. So, yeah, there's still a killer mummy on the loose, but instead of being a, a wacky adventure that's a horror sometimes and has no real sense of tone and a terrible plot, it's literally just you are a, an agent working for a paranormal defense agency who goes through a set of caverns in the hopes of shooting a mummy to death. 
And of course, she's surrounded by spiders and zombies and mummies and insects. So she's got a huge defensive force and you do your Metroidvania thing, searching through the whole area until you find enough weapons and upgrades to kill both the bosses and her. It's just a pure shooting Metroidvania. Um, I don't know if you guys played Alien Infestation. I played that. Corey, did you play that? I did not. It's an extremely good Aliens uh, shooting-based Metroidvania, and it's by the same developers and publishers as this one. Uh, the Way Forward both made and published this one rather than just making it and having Sega publish it like they did with Alien Infestation, but it is essentially the spiritual successor to Alien Infestation. So, you know, um, Interesting. both yeah, same, played... lots of shooting, lots of crawling enemies, lots of warrens to get through, new ways to open pathways, and a clever way of dealing with uh, player death, which I thought was great. Because in Alien Infestation, you've got a squad, and as you run out of squad members, you can lose the game. Here you can't lose the game, but as you die, a new agent gets sent to finish the job, and the agent you played as now is a zombie running around the map somewhere. And in order to get back the guns and equipment he had, you have to go and find and kill him. Oh, that, yeah, so that sounds like, um, yeah. what was that one? Uh, z- zombie, zombie, the, zombie. Um, oh yeah, what was it? It was Zombie U. Zombie U, yeah. yeah same kind of yeah. thing as Zombie U, exactly. Excellent. So, okay, so let's back this up a little bit. So this is like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is this a 2D pixel-based uh, you said yeah. platformer? So very similar to something that would be like on... The 3DS, because that's where Infestation was. That was on yeah, 3DS. Is it about exactly. the same technical level as that? Oh, no, it's much better. It's It clearly has much lusher animation, much bigger levels, far smoother gameplay. Like, it is, it, it's obviously how we remember 16-bit games, not how 16-bit games were. It is super smooth, super controllable, doesn't have any issues at all the way something like Infestation did. Okay, cool. So I have not seen this movie. Corey, have you seen The Mummy, the new one with Tom Cruise? Oh, God, no. I would never see that movie in a million years. <laughs> and that's why I love you, sir. That's why I love you. Uh, uh, I, I didn't, didn't see it. Either, it's so. garbage. So, yeah. Okay, so this is well, one of those cases where the adaptation is way better than the movie. I was literally just about to ask you that. Like, oh. is this is this the mummy property to interact with? Forget the movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, 100%. No hesitation. Because, you see, I um, I already like this genre. I think there's never enough games coming out in it. Uh, this is a perfect example of it. Great example of the genre. Great video game. If you like old Castlevania games, you won't be disappointed. And this thing so respects its debt to the Castlevania franchise that at one point you actually go to a, a clock tower in the game. Uh, is there Medusa heads? Uh, yeah, flying bats that uh, spit fire at you. Do they knock you off the platform every time you try to make a And knock you off the platform. <laughs> Although... That's that's what the level's for. Although uh, this character is more fuck. maneuverable than Belmont's, and you can actually uh, eventually unlock, and I was so pleased with this one, you can unlock an upgrade that makes it so you don't get knockback when you get hit. So suddenly platform oh is God. a breeze. Oh, it's, wow. it's How fantastic. did it take us 20 years to get to this point, right? Complete Why did no one invent that before? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, I know. Oh, but it's uh, it really is a great experience. I thought it was a, a great Metroidvania, the best one I've played in ages. And, you know, does the franchise more respect than the terrible Tom Cruise movie did. Well, that sounds excellent. I wasn't really looking at this at all, but I did really like Alien Infestation a lot. But, you yeah. know, i got to be honest. Um, Way Forward is a really 
interesting developer because they're capable of really great things and they're capable of really horrible things. They they swing back yeah. and forth. They seem yeah, and very it's because they're just constantly working to... for hire. That's the thing. So I think it is a lot of it is how excited are they about the job they're doing? They don't have their own IPs. They're just constantly making stuff in someone else, making someone else's property. Yeah, I, I I never know where I fall on them. Like every time I start thinking I like them, they make something that's that's pure shit, and then I hate them again. <laughs> and then they make something that looks good, and then I'm like, well, maybe I'll give another chance. I go back and forth. Corey, have you have you spent much time with any of WayForward's games? They've done like a number, like a number of like really small, downloadable titles. They did um, Shantae, I believe, the Shantae series. Yeah. They did Infestation. They've done. Uh, there was a horror game where you had a flashlight, and it was like a top down. Um, right, I don't remember what that was called. But that was a that was a weird uh, one. Yeah, I mean, have you Corey? Have you interacted with WayForward at all? Do you have any sense of them? Like, are you a fan? Not a fan? Um, I don't have their like list of games in front of me, but I don't, I don't think. I mean, I can't off the top of my head. I can't think I've played of anything of theirs, but I'm not. I'm not sure what all they've made. I'm looking it up right now because that's what we do thanks to the power of the internet. <laughs> so it looks like, oh boy, they made they made quite a bit. They yeah. made Shantae, a number of those. They made Mighty Switch Force, which was pretty popular on 3DS, I think. They made Contra 4, A Boy and His Blob, Silent Hill Book of Memories, Blood Rain, Betrayal, Mighty Flip Champs, DuckTales Remastered. Boy, they made shitloads. Double Dragon Neon. Oh, Sigma Star Saga? That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, they made like, I mean, it looked like fucking like 100 games here. Like, I don't even know how many games they made, like a lot. And they made stuff all the way back to 2003, it looks like, so... Very um, prolific. Prolific, folks, yeah. But, yeah, very prolific, but but hit or miss. But this one sounds like a hit. Is that correct, Dan? Oh, no, it's fantastic. Really great. I mean, uh, it made me want to replay Alien Infestation and finally finish it, but on, in its own right, it is just a very, very high-quality game. Yeah, absolutely okay. loved it especially. And if you love, uh, if you like Metroidvanias at all, two, nice 2D classic Metroidvanias, there's, there's nothing better out there right now in the genre. Corey, do you swing that way? Do you like Metroidvanias? Uh, Would this be something on your radar? Yeah, it actually is. I I fall on the Vania half of Metroidvania. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy Castlevania games. And uh, so I actually have had my eye on this, but I kind of haven't been keeping up with it to see like when it came out or what all consoles it came out on and whatnot. But I'll definitely go take a look at it. Um, but Dan, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm a really big fan of Shadow Complex. Does this game have similar production value to Shadow Complex? Uh, Shadow Complex is, of course, fully 3D, and it's got those uh, game. It's got that uh, those sets that you know sprawl backwards into the distance. It's not that kind of game at all. It really does look like a better animated version of like Judge Dredd or or Alien Three. The game is most like like it is not. It is not on that level at all. Personally, I enjoyed playing it more than I enjoyed playing Shadow Complex, but it doesn't have those kinds of production values, no. Okay, well that's fine because I'm a-okay with classic 2D side-scrolling too. I mean, I love Castlevania Symphony of the Night is probably like, I mean, it's a lot of people's like gold standard of this kind of game. It's one of mine too. I also really love the Game Boy Advance Castlevania games, which I don't think get enough love, so I will definitely be checking this out very soon. Yeah, give it a look. Right on, right on. Yeah, I'll probably give it a look, too. I was going to give it a pass, but um, based on what you said tonight, Dan, maybe I think it is worth a look. If it's if it's one of WayForward's better efforts, um, I, I like it when they're on point. So yeah. Maybe I will check that one out. Um, th- 
Thank you, thank you, sir. Let's move on. I'm going to do a little swap in the script. I was going to talk about something next, but I'm going to jump ahead to you, Corey. I want to hear from you. I'm very curious to get your take on Uncharted Lost Legacy. You okay to uh, talk about it now? Yeah, let's do it. Bring it on, sir. All right, so I rented um, Uncharted Lost Legacy from Gamefly and kind of sort of accidentally played the whole thing in one sitting. So... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, I mean, it must've been pretty good. Right. Cause usually I'm not like, uh, like I maybe I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before, but I'm not really like super duper into the uncharted games. I think they're fine, but I think they're extremely overrated and I think that they are really repetitive and I think that the combat is not very good in them. And I think they get way, 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 way more praise and critical acclaim than they even come close to deserving. But, um, But I actually really enjoyed um, Uncharted The Lost Legacy, and I think it it falls into that pattern of me enjoying smaller, uh, smaller works from Naughty Dog rather than their big, you know, their big, like, full AAA games, because the same thing happened with The Last of Us. Like, I really enjoyed The Last of Us Left Behind, which was like a five or so hour DLC kind of expansion that they came out with. I thought that... uh, that expansion was like better than the whole game. I loved it. I thought it was superior. And I, I feel the same way about The Lost Legacy. Like Uncharted 2 is probably my favorite in the franchise. And then like The Lost Legacy after that. And then like everything else is just kind of, um, you know, chaff on the side. But um, the thing the thing that really sets uh, Lost Legacy apart is that it stars two women. Um, it stars Nadine, who is the like black mercenary leader from Uncharted 4 and it stars um, Chloe who is like the Indian Australian woman from Uncharted 2 uh, voiced by Claudia Black Um, and I really like them I mean the the worst thing about the Uncharted series is Nathan Drake he's just a big (laughs) dumb idiot and he's so smug and he's so annoying and he he always has to have like the last word and the one-liners so like to basically like dump all the white dudes out of the game and have like two women front and center was really uh it felt really special to me and i mean the game is still like directed by a white dude and written by white dudes so like that's kind of disappointing i kind of wish that they would have given like this game over to like a couple women to write because i feel like they may have done the characters uh better justice or maybe like you know people of color to write it or direct it or produce it um but uh, but it's still really good. I mean, I actually found the script to be quite funny. Um, I was laughing out loud a lot, which is something I haven't done in an Uncharted game in a while, because most of the times when, like, Nathan Drake would crack jokes, I would just roll my eyes or something like that, because this joke story is really stupid or really smug. But I actually enjoyed a lot of the banter that uh, Chloe and Nadine have in The Lost Legacy. Um, but, I mean, beyond that, it's just, I mean, it's pretty much just more Uncharted. There's nothing really special about the format of this game other than the fact that it stars two women, um, which is definitely enough to help keep me on board. It's still the same. It's the same repetitive, god-awful story that Naughty Dog has been telling in every game where you have some treasure hunters. They go after a treasure. They get in a situation where they meet the bad guy. And of course, the bad guy like lets them live, even though all of his mercenaries have been trying to kill them the whole game. And then they find the treasure. And then the bad guy sneaks up on them and tries to take the treasure and puts them in some inescapable scenario. But they escape (laughs) every time. Like This is just cut, cut and dry, exactly what Uncharted has been doing since day one. And um, so, like, the story is pretty much dumb as hell. I mean, like, the overarching story 
as a matter of fact, it's one of those stories where whenever I finished the game, I was like, I had a really hard time, like, just like putting it together. Like, why, why were they here? What were they trying to do? Why was the bad guy doing the bad guy stuff that he was trying to do? It's just so, like, rote and annoying. But, um, you know, the, the banter and the platforming and stuff kind of helped me along the way because I actually did enjoy a lot of the character moments between Chloe and Nadine in the game. Um, but the thing that really, really, really bothers me, like super duper bothers me about Uncharted The Lost Legacy is that, you know, I'm playing it, I'm having fun, doing my thing, you know, I'm climbing, I'm shooting, I'm sneaking around, I'm having fun conversations with Chloe and Nadine. And then about two thirds into the game, they bring Sam Drake, who is Nathan Drake's brother, who made his debut in Uncharted 4, who basically had never even been spoken of in the entire Uncharted series. And because Troy Baker voiced uh, Joel in The Last of Us, Naughty Dog was like, oh, well, we need to give him another job. So let's just magically create this brother character for Nathan Drake so we can have him voice him not well because he can never decide what kind of accent he wants to have in the game and how he wants to stick to it. But they bring him back in The Lost Legacy, and I was hoping from the second they brought him back in the game that he would die, or he would die, or he would die. <laughs> and of course, instead of dying or getting lost or running off to do whatever stupid stuff he was doing for the whole Uncharted series up to four, he fucking tags along for the rest of the game. And it's just so annoying because it's like... I just want to, like, look at the director of Uncharted and be like, why couldn't you just let the not-white men have this one thing? Like, why why couldn't you let the women run the show and have the whole game to themselves? Like, why, why couldn't you just let them have it? Because, of course, they got to bring in the smug white guy two-thirds through the game and have him stick around for the rest of the game and have him, you know, have his smug one-liners and have him try to, like, mansplain stuff. And it doesn't even, like... So, I mean, there's a lot of moments where, like, he'll try to do something and, like, Chloe and Nadine are basically like, hey, we got it. Like, we don't really need you to do this. But it doesn't really subvert it enough for me to feel like... Uh, like, like It's worth situation. doing it all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they don't really have a, a much pay... Uh, like, a really big payoff. Um, and, like, Sam and Nadine have a really troubled past. And I have to be honest, whenever Sam came into the picture in Lost Legacy, I had totally forgotten what their past was in, from Uncharted 4 because that game story was so, um, like, not memorable that I couldn't remember. And then Nadine gets all mad, and I was like, well, I can't even remember, like, what, like, what the deal was. So maybe, like, a flashback would have been helpful in that situation. But then, like she basically has to work with Sam for the rest of the game. And of course she's like kind of mad here and there, but they end up like, and this like, oh, like happy sunshine rainbow friends, like at the end of the game. And I'm just like, like, come on, Naughty Dog. Like, why couldn't you just let the women have this game? Like, you know, you have four games, five if you count the PS Vita game of smug white guy action. Like, why couldn't you just let this DLC exist to let the women have a good time? And, like, you know, let uh, Nadine, like, you know, representing women of color, having a good time. But, no, they just couldn't help themselves. They had to bring the white guy back in. And that was honestly, like, the thing that just annoys me the most about the game. It's, like, they kind of promised this, like, you know, women's adventure. And then they couldn't even, like, they couldn't even give us, like, six hours of gameplay without putting a stupid white guy in there for the last third of it. Oh, man, that's really disappointing because... Um... 
you know, like you, I'm not a fan of Uncharted at all, and I totally agree that they are way overhyped, and uh, they get too much of a pass from basically everybody on Earth, which sucks, but uh, I was I was kind of looking forward to this one, like, you know, a little bit something different, you know, ladies first, like you said, a little bit different spin. I would, you know, I might be interested in something along these lines with a different focus, but man, it just sounds like they just put a female skin on top of it. It doesn't sound like enough of a divergence to me. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it pretty much is like, you know, it's just more Uncharted, but with two, you know, two female lead characters. And uh, despite the things I've said, I would still recommend this. I think it's fun. And I mean, just like I said earlier, the fact that I played, it took me five hours and 50 minutes to finish it. And of course, there's like extra stuff you can do that I didn't. But if I sat down and played all that in one sitting, it obviously had to be entertaining enough for me to like sit down and play it all in one sitting. So that certainly says something about the game. I would still recommend it, but I was extremely disappointed that they just couldn't let the women have their game. You know, like they just well, had to throw Sam in there. Let's unpack that for a minute because I think that's pretty interesting because like listening to you talk about it, like it doesn't sound that great and it doesn't sound like you really enjoyed it that much. But also, I mean, you did say you played the whole thing in one sitting. Was this like a hate play? Like, were you just, you just had to keep going because you were hating every minute of it? Or I mean, what was, what was good about it? Because what kept you in your seat that whole time? Uh, I mean, I think just like the, the brisk pace of it more often than not kind of kept me in my seat because I knew going in that it wasn't going to be like a 20 hour adventure or it wasn't going to be, you know, that long. And, you know, for me, it came out to just under six hours. And if I know a game is going to be like most indie games I play, you know, are not like super long games. They're kind of like one or two sitting games. I try to just do them in one sitting. And I mean, it started to wear out its welcome a tiny bit, but it's probably because I sat and played it in one sitting. So I feel like for most people, if they handled this in like like three or four sittings and it might not be the case, like it probably will feel pretty well paced. Um, but I just think knowing that it was shorter, knowing that it was a little more brisk, um, kind of helped me sit down and play it. And I really did like honestly enjoy the character moments, like most of the character moments between Nadine and Chloe, like their, their personalities and their banter. And, you know, it's kind of like Bechadel test to the game because they don't really spend a whole lot of time talking about men, which is great. Um, so it, I just like, I don't, I just like spending time with those two characters. I think they're really great characters and I kind of wish that they would like carry the series forward or something. Like, I don't know if they're going to be making more Uncharted's or not, or if they've even said, um, but I would like to see one or both of them kind of keep carrying the series as long as, um, you know, they don't keep bringing like Sam Drake or Nathan Drake back, even though they probably will. Cause you know, God forbid we have a game without a smug white guy in it, but um, I don't know. I just thought the the briskness, the brevity, um, the banter, sort of like the adventure really kept me going. But like if you're someone who does not like Uncharted games at all, like this really isn't going to change your mind because it's all the same stuff. It's all the same shooting. It's all the same climbing. It's all the same, uh, you know, like a chase sequence thrown in here or there, you know, an absurd final boss character whose motivations are silly. Um but, uh, I mean, I was not hate playing it by any stretch of the imagination. This is not the kind of game that I would hate play, um, nor did I feel compelled to finish it because I was in so deep. I did actually enjoy most of my time with the game. It's just some bits here and there and the fact that they brought Sam Drake back, which really rubbed me the wrong way. Okay, hang on a second. I'm crossing this off of my list. Crossing <laughs> oh, it off. That's a shame. Damn. Uh, maybe if it hits, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not that big of an Uncharted fan to begin with. So 
I was hoping for more of a departure. Maybe that would be my hook. Maybe this is not for me. Um, oh, we'll see if it comes on sale for really cheap or something. But Dan, what is real briefly? What is your stance on Uncharted? What's your relationship with Nathan Drake? <laughs> um, I found him increasingly more boring with each subsequent game <laughs> to the point that I never bothered finishing Uncharted Four. I just oh, okay. I reached a point where I just I can't bring myself to care about this guy's drama anymore. <laughs> that wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and so I hear that four didn't have the strongest ending. So there you go. Uh, so any temptation for you, Dan, to jump into, uh, uh you know what, Lost like Legacy you, here? I mean, they're always competent games and mixing up the characters is something I'm definitely curious about. If it shows up on PS plus for $10. Yeah. I'm, I'll pay that. But, uh, even at a four, like a discount $30, $40 price tag, it seemed like more than I was willing to put in for a, a new uncharted game. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I was, I was, if it had been cheaper, if it had been 20 bucks, I probably would have jumped well, into yeah. it just to see what they had done with um, the new characters, and we probably would all be talking about it right now. But for what, it, it, it came out at like, what, 40 bucks, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that was, that's too much. So, okay, cool. Looks like uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy is a wrap there. I will move ahead with uh, a game that I'm going to talk about real briefly. But first, before I talk about the game that I. I'm going to talk about, I want to give a little brief anecdote. Um, so I mentioned uh, in the banter at the end of the show that I went to the Portland Retro Game Expo. We went down to Portland for a couple of days. And as we were packing up, I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to get a chance to catch up on some stuff. I'll play some stuff for the show. This will be great. It'll be a wonderful opportunity. So I got out my Wii. I haven't really talked much about the Wii on the show. Or not the Wii. Fuck. <laughs> Switch. Your Nintendo The Switch. Switch. Yes, the Switch. I can't believe, can't believe I called it the Wii. Oh, my God. Ugh. This coffee I'm drinking is not strong enough, folks. Hang on. Um, yes, the Switch. I have not... Well, I, I mean, to be fair, I haven't talked much about the Wii either. But, yeah, I... Didn't, I bought a Switch recently. I barely talked about it on the show. So I thought, oh, this would be a good chance for me to talk about the Switch. I will download some stuff. A lot of games are seeming pretty cool on the Switch. I've downloaded uh, Golf Story. I downloaded um, Stardew Valley. I downloaded, I think I have the new, the latest version of Binding of Isaac, which I haven't really ever played very much. Um, a few, I had like, a, like a three or four games that I could have talked about uh, on the Switch. So I pack up the Switch. At the same time, I pack up, uh, my 3DS, because I don't know what mood I'm going to be in when I get there. So I'm like, I got Shovel Knight Spectre of Torment, which is what I'm actually going to be talking about. So I packed that up in my backpack, got that going, got the other family's uh, bags going. We carry stuff out to the car. Everything's ready. We head down to Oregon. We get about an hour on the road, and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't remember packing my backpack. I'm like, honey, did you grab my backpack? She's like, no. And I know my son didn't grab it. So I'm Oof. like, I look in the back real quick, and I'm like, Fuck! packed all my portable games and I left them in my backpack and when I got back after the trip it was sitting right in the middle of my living room I had forgotten oh. to bring my fucking bag so all the time that I was going to play uh, oh, games no. for the show I ended up not playing anything so I'm a little bit light on content this week I apologize folks I meant to have a very robust presentation um, but instead I will talk briefly about Shovel Knight Spectre of Torment, which is what I played before I packed it up in my backpack. So, uh, have you guys played Shovel Knight real briefly, Dan and Corey? Yes, Dan? I Shovel have. Knight? Yes, Corey? Uh, I have not. Okay, so Shovel Knight, just for those who don't know, was kind of like uh, one of the biggest success stories of Indieville um, when it came out a couple years ago. 
basically it's like uh, I mean I almost want to say it's almost like a Mega Man game in certain respects but you play as Shovel Knight who is a knight with a wait for it shovel and he goes on this uh, yeah I don't know just very very Mega Man like quest with a slightly different open world or uh, overworld I mean um, really well put together really really fun it was like an old school game in spirit, but it was brought up to date with modern technology, but still had a very retro feel to it, like Retro Nouveau or something. Um, Very popular game. Uh, Interestingly, it sold like gangbusters and got like rave reviews all around, which was uh, great. It did not click with me personally at first. Um, It didn't just didn't really hook me. And part of that, I got to say, honestly, just a brief side note, like I didn't understand why he was called Shovel Knight. I mean, he's a knight with a shovel, which I get, but like, why? Like, he didn't really have anything special that he did with the shovel. I mean, he he would, um, like, there were these, these little pile of jewels or something, and he would, like, hit him with a shovel. But, I mean, that didn't really seem very shovelish to me. Like, it didn't justify why he had a shovel. Like, I didn't quite understand what they so were doing. So he didn't have like, any digging-themed maneuvers, and that bothered you? Yeah, kind of. I mean, he used it like a pogo stick, which wasn't particularly shovelish. Um, <laughs> right. And he didn't, he didn't dig any holes. He didn't, like... Like, I I just couldn't figure out why he had a shovel. Like, it was goofy looking. And it certainly made people remember him, which I guess is reason enough. But it just, it didn't have a hook in the game. I kept wondering why he was called Shovel Knight. It didn't make sense to me. Well, so. Sorry, not why he was called Shovel Knight. He's called that because he's a knight that wields a shovel. But why he chose to be a Shovel Knight is what confused. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I kept waiting for some superpowered, shovel oriented maneuver that he would do, or somehow where I'd be like, Oh, that's why they wanted it to be a shovel as opposed to a cane a or a pogo stick. Yeah, it could have been it could have been anything, honestly. It yeah. didn't need to be a shovel. So anyway, okay. tangent, sorry. I just I just mentally I couldn't get over that hump and it kinda it kinda turned me off of the game. because um, critics are weird, folks. Critics are weird. Um but it sold a million uh, copies despite my not clicking with it. And I eventually came back to it after a while and I did end up finishing it. I really liked it at the end. It took a little while to warm up, but I did I did, I did find the fun in it after a while. And I think they're called Yacht Club Games as the developer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They have, con- instead of making a sequel, they have continued to add DLC to the core game. And in fact, it is no longer called Shovel Knight. It is called Shovel Knight Treasure Trove because there is so much new stuff that's been added. They just keep building and building and building and building and adding and adding to the core game. So if you buy Shovel Knight now, you cannot buy just Shovel Knight. You buy Shovel Knight Treasure Trove, which has the original core campaign of Shovel Knight. It also has uh, a part where you take control of one of the other bosses who was um, uh, like Plague Knight, I think his Plague name Knight. was. Yeah. yeah, he has like totally different mechanics, different weapons. It feels almost like a completely different game taking control of him. They also added... The Spectre of Torment, which I'm playing right now, where you play as Spectre Knight, he, again, has totally different mechanics, different movement, different powers, different storyline, and they're just about to release pretty soon uh, a new DLC, which stars, I think, King Knight, and I don't know what his deal is, but again, I assume it's uh, he's going to have a whole new adventure, a whole new moveset, so it's pretty interesting and um, really value-added what they're doing. I think everything except for the newest King Knight DLC was free. So if you bought this game, they just kept giving and giving and giving, um, which is kind of the opposite of all the loot box DLC bullshit we were talking about at the beginning of the show. So I really respect them for that. They gained a lot of respect for me by continuing to support this game and to release stuff for free. Very cool. 
Um, and right now I'm playing the second add-on, Spectre of Torment, where in the main Shovel Knight campaign you fought Spectre Knight, where he kind of looked like a Grim Reaper sort of dude. And in this one, you actually play as Spectre Knight. Um, I'm not very far, but what struck me immediately about this was his mechanics of moving through the world and how he attacks is so different from Shovel Knight's. Like, it's really, really different. Um, so he can, like, when he jumps, so, like, picture, like, a Mega Man-style game, 2D, side-on kind of thing. He's a little knight with um, a, a sickle, a little bit of a cloak, looks, you know, like a Grim Reaper sort of dude. When he jumps, if he touches a wall, he will, like, start running up the wall. And if it's not too far, he will, like, mantle to the top and climb over. So he's got a lot of, like, areas that he can climb and that he's very acrobatic on. He can jump, stick to the wall, run up, jump off and do a wall run on another wall, run up that one. So that gives him a very dynamic feel. But the other thing that makes it really dynamic is that when he gets close to an enemy, uh, like when you play the Shovel Knight, he just whacked enemies with a shovel. Nothing special. He didn't dig them or, you know, anything shovelish at all. He just hit them. Uh, but Spectre Knight, there, when he gets close to an enemy, there's like a little line of energy that appears on an enemy. And if, sh so this is kind of confusing. Stay with me here. If Spectre Knight is standing above an enemy, there is a little line that goes diagonal down. If, if Spectre Knight is below the enemy, there is a little line that appears that goes diagonal up. So he can, depending on his height, slash that enemy going either diagonal up or diagonal down and he will rocket ahead towards, you know, on the trajectory of that line. So if you can imagine this, like you're going along, there is um, an enemy floating over a pit that's too far for you to jump. You jump up, and then you have to wait until Spectre Knight is physically, like, below that enemy, at which point that little energy line will show that it's pointing upwards, and then you slash at that moment, and it'll shoot him up. So, like, every enemy in the game is potentially, like, a launching point for him to be thrown into the air. <laughs> So if you can imagine like little, you know, jumps strung across a level where you're very carefully waiting for the timing to make sure you're hitting them at the right way, because if you hit too soon and Spectre Knight is above, it'll shoot him down and you don't want to go down. Like you want to keep going up. Um, so that's really cool. And if you find a big boss, it's the opposite, where if you get above the boss and that energy line is going down, you can slash hit the boss, and because you hit him, it bounces you back up and it sets you back up for another diagonal down slash. And so as long as you maintain... You, the correct positioning, you can like hover above them and just like slash and slash and slash and take them down like no problem. It's really super um, dynamic, really action-packed, really keeps you on your toes and very focused. I just, I love the way that it feels to move this character around and it feels like night and day different from what it felt like to control Shovel Knight. So, I mean, I gotta say, I think honestly, um, out of the DLCs I've played, I did spend some time with Plague Knight and I'm in Inspector Knight right now. I think both of those are more interesting and more engaging than the core Shovel Knight campaign, which I think is still good, but just kind of like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. Um, well, it's a perfect example these... of DLC giving the developers a chance to take what they learned making the main game and do an interesting side thing that isn't just more of the same game. Like, these are obviously all ideas they had while they were building the game, and now they're, instead of doing a sequel, they're just like, no, more and more DLC. It's great. Yeah, totally. I love that it's not just more Shovel Knight. These, like, everything they've added so far feels wildly different from the main stuff, which to me is is exactly what I want from DLC or add-ons. Like, I don't want just more. It's very rare that I want more. I just want something new, different ideas, different expansion, something I haven't seen before. Maybe I like the world, but I want a different angle on it. And so that's exactly what they're delivering. And I just, 
I, you know, like I said, I didn't like Shovel Knight very much at the beginning. It was okay. But like with each new DLC, I like it more and more and more. And I'm really liking this um, Spectre Knight content. It's got me actually pretty fired up for the King Knight content, which is coming, which will actually be the first paid add-on. And considering that they've put out so much content already for free, I do not begrudge them at all um, for wanting to get a couple more bucks out of this. I think that's very fair con considering how much they've done. So... Corey, um, I know that we just talked about like a 2D thing with uh, Mummy Demastered, and you seem kind of interested in that one. Any, have you thought ever at all about um, getting into Shovel Knight? I mean, you must have heard about it. It's been like all over Twitter and, and you know, the interwebs and stuff for at least a couple years. What's your What's your thoughts on this or on Shovel Knight in general? Um, I Shovel Knight's one of those things that I always was like aware existed, but I never really knew anything about it. Like if you and like if somebody had shown me a screenshot and they were like, what is this game? And it was Shovel Knight. I would have been like, I don't know what that is. Um, so I, I guess I just don't really know a whole lot about it other than what you have talked about tonight. And I mean, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but the stuff that you're talking about doesn't really make me seem that interested in it. So I will probably just like, keep on keeping on and not playing this game <laughs> sorry brad <laughs> all right i'm not going to try to sell you harder because i think that's about all i can say on it dan what did what did you think have you played shovel knight oh yeah no no i love shovel knight and i've loved the dlc like i'm i'm completely on board with you it's it's an amazing it's not only it's a great game right i really love the Mega Man pastiche i thought it was really well done the DLC has been fantastic in letting you have an entirely new experience every single time. Can't say enough good things about it. I love it. And yeah, I'm, I'm down for paying for a little bit more after all the free stuff I've gotten. Yeah. Yeah. I can't agree. I can't disagree with that at all. I think that they have really um, just gotten better and better and I uh, really respect them quite a bit. So I am definitely going to be um, playing some more. I'll finish Spectre Torment and I will probably check out, uh, the King Knight stuff. I never finished uh, Plague Knight, but I'm really kind of on fire to get back into it. My only yeah, regret... I, I, you know, everybody says it's really good. I gotta get back to it. But my only regret is that um, I bought this on 3DS when it came out, when it originally debuted, so there's no reason why I wouldn't have bought it. But now that it's on the Switch, I'm like, oh, God, I wish I was playing this on the Switch because yeah. better screen, you know, bigger screen. I was like, oh, it's really... I waited for Xbox, the same thing, you know? Did you? Yeah, yeah. I really, I wish, I mean, I, you know, I I know they're counting on people to keep buying this. So why they, that's why they keep making the DLC. I just, I, I don't want to buy it again because it's, it's fine <laughs> on the 3DS and I'm, you know, I'm not a rich man. But I, I really you. wish I had it on the Switch right now. I really wish I did. But otherwise, I'm I'm still happy with it very much. I would recommend it. And for listeners, if you weren't totally in love with Shovel Knight, uh, core core Shovel Knight, like like I wasn't totally in love with it, maybe give it a second look. If you like 2D platformers, if you like this kind of Mega Man style action, the DLC has been pretty phenomenal, and it really kind of gave me a better appreciation for the core campaign. So check it out and uh yeah jump in specter torment is free if you have the main game so enough of shovel knight let's move on to a very big big game that i'm very curious to hear about dan uh we want to hear you talk about elix um it's a new Eurojank rpg who's making this is it piranha uh, bites the people from risen and gothic Right, right, right. Okay, so I I am very familiar with these guys, their work. I have a lot of respect for them, even though they they make really sloppy games, really buggy, <laughs> weird games. But these guys are smart guys. Um, oh, yeah, they, absolutely. 
For, from a their... character stuff, from quest building, yeah, even from yeah. world design, these guys do a great job. Uh, okay, but yeah, cool. they they miss out on the little things, and there are uh, there are frequently bugs. I mean, I got to say, what, one of the things that made me happiest about the game was that they uh, included. Right in the menu, they know. I played it on the PS4. You open it up and it's like, how often do you want the game to autosave? And the default that it starts on is every three minutes. Because they know. That seems like not not often enough to me compared to my experience with their past games. (laughs) But yeah, Uh. I honestly, every now and then, here's all that would happen. Um, If you play the game for more than like two, two and a half hours, the frame rate will start to chug. And if the frame rate starts to chug and you teleport to a teleport pad, when you get there, there will be no ground and you will just endlessly fall. Uh, so that's not ideal, obviously. That does, that does but not sound good. Here's the here's the amazing thing. Every time you say, every time you teleport, the game saves where you're going. So you turn off the game, you turn it back on. the The janky problem is gone. It's no longer. Uh, it's no longer hiccuping at all in the frame rate, and you're exactly at the place you teleported to when the game failed on you. So, but honestly, that, the moment you think the you can save any time unless you're actually in a fight. So literally, the second you notice the frame rate start to dip, you just pause, you save the game, you turn it off, you turn it back on. Takes you sixty seconds, you're back in the game, and it's perfect. Like that, that's the that, biggest yeah, issue I had, and it's not much of an issue. That sounds exactly like a Piranha Bytes game to me. Um, <laughs> it really does. But before before we get too into this, first I want to touch base with you. Are you a fan of Eurojank at all? I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's, let's let's back it up a little bit. So Eurojank games, I mean, I don't know if you have a different definition, Dan, but my definition of that is like uh, a number of games from Eastern Europe came out over the last couple of years where they were usually really big RPGs, yeah. uh, usually third person. And the quests would be really involved, a lot of really cool writing, a lot of really great ideas, maybe even some new mechanics. But the thing that they all had in common was, like, they all had really, like, shoddy production values. Like, a lot of clipping, a lot of quests that couldn't be completed, a lot mm-hmm. of bugs and stuff. And so you could you could generally, like, finish the games, but, like, the combat was always really rough. And there was, like, a lot of really rough edges and bumps and bruises you had to just kind of power through to kind of get to, like, the juicy center of that. So that kind of became known as Eurojank, where you just kind of expected, like, oh, it's got a great story or a great idea or a great world. But there's all these like really awful production things going on that you got to just kind of put up with. Um, so I was I was a big fan of the genre. I still kind of am, although I don't have as much time for them these days as I used to. I don't have as much. They time are huge. Either. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're generally very big games, um, and this uh, is one of them. So Corey, not much experience with the Eurojank genre. No, this sounds like garbage. <laughs> and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people say it is garbage. Like a well, lot no, of people... but it's the genre that led to the existence of The Witcher Three. Like Very The Witcher true. 3 is just what if someone had the production values and had the testing budget to pu- to finish one of these games. Well, it becomes The Witcher 3. Like that is exactly that. true. That is exactly right. They are the first Eurojank developer to get the jank out of the Euro and just yeah, give you exactly. Euro RPG. So that was that's yeah. kind of what that's at. So um, you know, but it's it's a Western RPG in the purest uh, sense. You know how these things are. So you're playing as an established. Uh, you're playing as a character here. It's established instead of generate your own, as in so many others. But that's not a problem. Uh, it's just because it has a concrete plot, and you're playing a specific character within that story. They don't let me. They don't let you design your own character, which uh, a lot of Euro games do. This one, you don't. So let's back it up a little bit, Dan. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Elix specifically and not just the Eurojank okay. genre in general. 
Um, so this is put out by Piranha Bytes. You want to give us just a real brief, um, you know, nutshell. It's what 150 is years in you? the future of a uh, planet called Magellan. Uh, of 150 years ago, a comet hit a Earth that was about our current level of technology. And it wiped out most of humanity. But on the upside, the comet was made out of magic. So it's a comet <laughs> entirely made out of magic crystals. And I know, right? Uh, some people, uh, and basically humanity broke down into four camps. People who used it as a power source to build futuristic technology. People who purified it with the land and turned it into, uh, and built the ability to use magic spells out of it. Right? Then there are people who, uh, then there are, yes, people who actually consume it to give themselves psychic powers, but it can also turn them into bloodthirsty mutants. And of course, finally, uh, the fourth group, who are just Mad Max people. Just just Fallout Raiders, Mad Max, whatever you want to call them. Okay, cool. So give us the breakdown. I'm assuming this is a third-person, open-world yep. RPG. Exactly. It's third person. You start, uh, you're, you're one of the guys who injects techno, uh, magic directly into their veins to get psychic powers, but you get shot down and someone come and your brother comes to execute you and he screws it up. So you just wind up in a coma. You wake up, you don't have your powers anymore. And now you have to join one of the world's three factions and take either take the fight to the people who gave the orders to kill you or decide to go along with them decide you were in the wrong they were right to try to kill you and try to do a better job working for them so a lot of the the pluses of the eurojang genre is that the writing tends to be pretty good and they also usually have many different ways for you to solve a quest like that's kind of yeah. one of the hallmarks is that they're they usually give you a lot of freedom to do things on your own like sometimes you can kill the quest givers if you want to skip a quest or sometimes you can play people off it's not just like do this thing for me and then i'll give you a reward it's usually like think about what's going on who do you want to side with they usually have a lot of moving pieces in their in their stories is that true in elix oh yeah absolutely because there are three factions there are three endings there are three fa three factions but though the endings are not directly tied to the factions but they're rather based on how you played the game in a kind of morality system where the decisions you make and the conversations you have make you more emotional or more emotionless. Are you more like a machine as you were, or are you more of a human? And as you become more emotional or more emotionless, certain conversational options and quest options become open. So someone who plays the game as a jerk has essentially an entirely different experience than someone who plays the game as compassionately as they can. But beyond that, even within missions, there are constantly just... People offering you different ways to solve missions to help one group or another. Missions where you can solve for yourself in multiple ways. And in a very nice technique, there's also different ways to dynamically solve missions. So I'll be given a, a group of guys to fight, but they're in an area. I'm not high enough level to deal with them. How can I possibly uh, deal with these guys? Well, a really good system is every single creature in the game wants to kill every other creature that isn't of its own species, so you will constantly just walk into an area and find monsters fighting each other. So a good way to defeat guys you don't think you're up to the level of is to find yourself a bunch of monsters in the woods, have them chase you to the enemy encampment, jetpack over the enemy encampment to escape, and then just let the monsters and the enemies fight each other. And as long as the enemies get killed, mission's completed. Hold on, Dan. Hold on. Hold on. 
You just said the magic word, my friend. I did, didn't I? You just said the magic word. I heard you say jetpack. Tell me more. Yeah, that's the uh, the big game. The big thing this game advertises. It has complete freedom of movement. From basically, you learn how all the buttons work for ten minutes, and then they give you a jetpack. And once you have that jetpack, you can go almost anywhere in the entire game. Like there's three or four areas that are inside city walls you can't get over or blocked by energy fields. But other than that, the entire map is open to you the second you get that jetpack. The only gating is completely soft gating based on the fact that if enemies are higher level than you, you basically can't hurt them. But you can always, as long as you're good at dodging and running away from enemies, you can explore every nook and cranny of the map basically from the second you start the game. It's fantastic. Are we, talk, are we talking about like free fly through the skies jetpack? Uh, no, or no, no. Uh, you just use the jetpack to get over obstacles. So if you want to climb a mountain, you have to have a series of footholds, uh, footholds to get to. If it was, uh, you're able to fly wherever you want, enemies would never be any threat to you because you could just kind of cheese your way through the game. Uh, so they don't want to let you do that, but they are very open with letting you go wherever you want uh, because the game is not built so vertically that it's ever difficult to climb to the top in a series of jumps. Okay, cool, cool. So, But the game is built very vertically. Like, there are a lot of cliffs. There are a lot of, a lot of stuff down in ravines. There are a lot of super tall buildings. There is one uh, cliff that has this uh, refinery attached to it, and you have to go all the way down the side of the, bil- uh, the building that is, you know, a 20 stories in the sky. Like, it's a very vertically oriented world, and it was very neat to see that, especially in an RPG. So tell me, Dan, did you um, finish this game? I did, yeah. Took about and... 35 hours. Okay, so that's pretty actually pretty reasonable for oh, yeah, your completely reasonable. RPG. Very reasonable. What did you... I... What did you think of it overall? What were some highlights of the game? Or what would you say to either recommend or not recommend this game? Um, as I'm just going to give the lowlights first. As always, the, the combat isn't fantastic. The combat's never fantastic in these games. Uh, you, have, uh, you can have AI companions, you know, one at a time coming along with you. And they help the combat a lot. Not because they're good at fighting. They aren't. But they will draw a lot of enemy fire, which keeps enemies from ganging up on you. Which is honestly your biggest problem at all levels of the game. Luckily, once you get about, you can get about 10 levels, you know, just by solving interpersonal quests and quests where you find things and quests where you talk to people. And you gradually, you know, level up your charisma to get persuasion checks and tech skills so you can pick locks. There's all that kind of stuff. So there's plenty of ways to get resources, uh, sorry, past levels without being good at fighting. Uh, until you've leveled up enough that you can start using good bows and arrows and good guns because the ranged combat works great. It's the melee combat that is always, as always, is just kind of on the stiff side. So, so far, um, it sounds like a pretty average Eurojank kind of game. So people who are into that genre probably know what to expect. But like what makes it stand out? Like what notable features would you recommend to someone like Corey, for example, who is probably listening to this thinking, God, well, I would never want to play this. So like, what, like, what, <laughs> well, what are the I think high points? The, or what the would you... most entertaining thing, like the highest point is that it is a game where you've got on a level, it's, uh, as I said, it's an all sprinkle Sunday because it is a game where you can play as a barbarian or a techno cleric or a Mad Max person. Like they have the three big post-apocalyptic kind of genres. Everybody becomes barbarians, everybody becomes science, everyone just goes nuts and drives around in cars. There are no cars in the game. That was a you know reference to Mad Max. Um, right? You can decide which of those you want to do, and you can go to each of those areas and fight monsters 
related to each of those things. Like you can have a laser rifle fighting, you know, giant spiders and goo and zombies, or you could have a battle axe and be using it to fight a giant killbot. It's like the the strange mixture of genres is its biggest strength because it really unleashes itself for a setting. And in I think the most openly video gamey thing, uh, there is you know you start in forest world and then there's a desert world and a volcano world and an ice world. So they like clearly color code and environment code the areas of the game in the most distinctive video game way possible, which I thought was a nice touch. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's it's a big hu- it's a huge area. There's a an epic plot that sets up be- that does the great job of completely wrapping up the story. Like all of the questions you had at the start of the game are answered at the end of the game, but a great big new consequence of your actions in the game is revealed, and that is to set up for the second game in the series, which now I hope there is one because this one is quite successful at being a wonderful western rpg hybrid so Corey, i'm gonna come back to you sir um you don't have a lot of experience in the euro jank genre um we've been talking about it for a while here has anything we've said been remotely interesting has like have we won you over even a little bit is any interest peaked are you going to check this out online you're going to watch a video or or not how how are you feeling uh i don't think this sounds like something that I would play. Um, I, I actually, this is going to be like the biggest backhanded compliment I could possibly give it, but the most intriguing thing, Dan, that you said out of that whole spiel was that it was only 35 hours long because I was expecting you to be like, <laughs> oh, it's 200 or 300 hours long. And when you, because you like preface them as like games are usually like really, really, really long. And 35 hours is certainly like a meaty chunk, like don't get me wrong, but I was expecting you to say like 150 hours and then you said 35. So that's like not that kind of like scales my perception a little bit to thinking that it's not quite as long as I originally thought it was going to be. Um, Right. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, as you were talking, I was looking up screenshots on my phone, just kind of swiping through some to see what it looked like because I I wanted to visualize what it looks like. And it certainly looks like a, you know, kind of like a beautiful, interesting game, like a lot of uh, diverse pastures and everything. But uh, there's just like something in the back of my head that's like, Corey, you won't like this game. Like this probably is not for you. Um, so I I doubt I'm going to be trying it anytime soon, but at least I am versed in knowing what it is and what it's about and what this whole genre is about now. All right. All right. Well, uh, I guess, I guess that's all we can do. Um, on just one <laughs> final note, Dan, like, would you say this is a good place for people who have not jumped into Eurojank to start, or would you recommend? Oh, absolutely! Else? No, it's Piranha Bytes. It's their it, it's their best game yet. Like, I like it more than I like Titan Lords, or okay. um, or oh, what was the pirate one? Anyway, uh, but the point is, <laughs> the the last two Risen games, I liked it more than that. I liked it more than Gothic Three. I mean, they didn't make Arcania, but Arcania was based on their franchise, and I liked it more than Arcania. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I thought it was a really impressive title from them. And it really does do a good job of introducing you to the mechanics of the genre right at the start. Like, it's a perfect game. It teaches you in early like early combat that's easy to wrap your head around, early conversations that explain the morality and consequence system of your decisions. Like, very well done. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So that is Elix, E-L-E-X. Uh, yeah, all caps. And that just came out this really recently, did it? Like last yeah, it week came or something out Tuesday. like that? Yeah. 
Okay, real recently. So there you go. There's Elix. Uh, one more game to touch on quickly, and then we are going to wrap the show. Um, listeners of the podcast may remember last week when I had almost nothing to talk about uh, because I had been spending all my time on a game that was under embargo, and I promised that I would get around to that game at some point when the embargo dropped. Well, the embargo dropped today, earlier today, so I am at finally, finally uh, at liberty to talk about this game. And I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. Uh, it's called Air, A-E-R, Memories of Old. Uh, this is an indie game. Comes from a bunch of, I think, students from Sweden, I believe. Um, they've been working on this for a couple of years. I saw it originally at PAX West. I, I want to say it was two years ago, where they had it running on a little laptop that was set up on the side of a booth. Uh, no real hype or anything like that. And... Something about that game, um, in the rough state that it was, really captured my imagination. I just liked the, the, the look of it. It had some very low polygon art style, like intentionally so. Like everything is very um, big triangles, but in a very attractive way. Like it doesn't look like they're struggling technically. It looks like they very intentionally want things to look like that. It looks good. Um, a lot of pixel, uh, not pixel, but uh, pastel colors. Uh, but the hook of the game is that uh, you played as a girl who could transform into a bird and you could fly anywhere. So that that concept to me hasn't really been done to death in games. And from what I saw two years ago, I was like, this looks really interesting. I really want to see where these guys go with this. And um, thankfully, they did keep running with it. They uh, kept working on it. They polished it up, made it look better, made it play better. And it is now uh, going to be out for sale on the 25th of this month. So by the time this show is up, it still will not quite be out for sale, but it will be out very soon. Um, I really like this game a lot. I, I really like this a lot. Um, like I said, any game we play as a woman who can turn into a bird. Uh, something has happened to her world. And, catastrophic, of course, because nothing like ever really good happens. Because like if, if it did, like <laughs> what kind of game would that be? You know, Running around just like enjoying things and feeling peaceful all the time. That wouldn't be a good game. Uh, so her world has been destroyed and instead of being a planet, it's just like a series of like floating islands, like these little land masses that are just kind of hovering in air. She walks around and I mean, there is a goal where you need to visit, uh, three different temples. Each temple has, um, a spirit within and you need to talk with them to kind of help soothe the troubles of the land. But it's not just about that. Like, it's not just about get these tasks done. Um, talking to these guys, uh, who were working on this game, they really impressed upon me that one thing that they really wanted to deliver to people was a different kind of focus. And they really wanted people to be able to play as uh, this girl who could fly and just enjoy the feeling of flying, like jump off of a ledge, uh, transform into a bird and just fly. There's no limits on it. Like there's no, you don't have to collect power orbs in order to transform. You don't need to collect golden feathers to stay aloft. You don't have to fly through rings or eat food, or anything gamey. Like, it is just, you just transform into bird. That's it. That's all there is. You just change anytime you want to. No limit. You can fly as long as you want. No That sounds limit. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a simple idea, and yet so many games refuse to give you that level of freedom. Just empower you in that way, the way they should. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a very, very simple concept, but these guys just really just go for it. And they're fine with you not doing the quest right away. You can just fly around, circle the islands, go up and down, over, fly through the clouds. And I got to say, like, there is really something to that. I, I just really enjoyed the simple freedom, the mechanics 
of flying around. Her world is not enormous, but it's big enough to really stretch your wings and just go out there and, and just fly. And it's just really peaceful to see these little islands passing by and you go through a cloud and the cloud kind of like billows around the camera and you, you come out the other side of it and it's sunny and you're diving and you're swirling around in the air. It's just, it's just really cool and really free and very, um, very liberating to not have to worry about how much energy you have or if you have, you know, if you can make it to your next landing zone or anything like that, they're just, fuck it. No, none of that. <laughs> you just, you just fly. That's all there is. Um, so that I think is really wonderful and special all on its own. I really like uh, the music. I really like the aesthetics. Everything is just very peaceful. Um, there's no combat in the game. I do not think you can ever die. Uh, there's no penalties or anything like that. You just you're just there, and it's just everything is okay, which is kind of a a neat little refuge from reality at this particular point in time. <laughs> and it's also something that uh, I don't know about you guys, but it's not something that I encounter very often. So I really like that a lot. Um, when you no, finally it does do sound around, great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, when you finally do get around to doing uh, the tasks, I was a little bit concerned about how in-depth they were going to be. Like, at first I was like, well, I hope it's not just flying somewhere and pushing square. But at the same time, I don't want to be, like, in a 50-floor dungeon either. And I think that they have really um, landed in a very comfortable space where each puzzle in the game, in, in each of the temples... Um, is a little bit different from the last, so there's a, there's a pretty good variety in what you're doing. And they're not very difficult in terms of, like, you're not going to have to run and get an FAQ or anything. You may have to think for a few minutes, but if you just kind of take in what's around the environment, pay attention to your surroundings, you can usually puzzle it out because she doesn't have a whole lot of um, options either. I mean, she's just, like, she can jump, she's got a lantern that she can light, and she can fly. That's basically about it. So, like, with those limited tool set available... You can pretty much figure out what to do, but it's good. I think that they have um, done as much as they can do in an appropriate way where it was never too hard. It was never too easy. It felt like everything was really approachable because I don't think that you ever really want to lose that mellow vibe that you get from flying around. Like it would be a real bummer to fly, feel real peaceful, enjoy the sunshine, land, and then bash your head against some stupid puzzle where you couldn't figure <laughs> out what the fuck you're supposed to do. That would be... Uh, a big bucket of cold water. So they don't ever go that far, which is great. I think it's a very smart move. I'm glad they don't do that. But the puzzles were satisfying and they were of an appropriate difficulty. Uh, when you finally advance the story long, I thought there were some pretty cool moments. Uh, overall, I think it's a, it's a very short experience. You could probably finish it in one sitting, probably four hours or something like that. But, but that was enough. Like I felt like it ended when it needed to end. It gave me what I wanted to get. Got in, got out, did a very good job of delivering the experience, and I really liked it. Uh, really liked it a lot. Um, the only criticisms I would have of this game is that uh, you can fly around anywhere, and you can land on any piece of land and explore as much as you want, but I didn't feel like there was quite enough to explore. There was a few little points of interest that you could find, and you can see... I don't want to call them ghosts, but like her, the lantern that she has is kind of a magic lantern and it'll show you sometimes things that were in the past and you can get little snippets of people telling a story, but it's not enough to really give the land a very rich feeling. Like it seems like something that was a really good idea. They didn't quite carry far enough. So I would have liked to have seen more of that. And also because you can fly as much as you want in any direction that you want, there's no way for them to know which section of the story you were going to find first. I mean, 
I could go to the very first island or I could go to the very last island. Like it's totally up to me which direction I wanted to fly. So they had to make sure that the chunks of story were able to be told in any, any order, which I think hurt it a little bit. Um, I think that if they had focused on that a little bit more, maybe leaned a little bit harder on the environmental storytelling and not so much on the actual script, it would have been a little bit stronger. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to like sound like I'm criticizing it too harshly. I think that they've done a really good job with uh, their goal. I think they met their goal very much. And I think the world is beautiful. I think flying around is just awesome. I really, uh, really like it a lot. So um, nothing but really good things to say about that overall. I would recommend it. The only unfortunate thing is that they kept this under embargo for so long. Like I really wanted to talk about this like two weeks ago and to start getting the word out and building up um, some buzz for it. But it's been on such a strict embargo. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know why they would do that because they really need all the help they can get when it comes to PR and getting uh, some eyeballs on this. So that was really unfortunate. I think they made a bad call keeping it under embargo. But um, I am no longer an embargo, and I'm spreading the word, and I hope that everybody listening to this will at least check it out on YouTube. Um, and, and that's and AER, A-E-R. A-E-R, yes. So, okay. Corey, I'm coming back to you first, sir. Um, I feel like we have not been able to connect any of these games to you so far. What about this one? What about this one? Any interest at all in this one? Have I sold you on this one? Any, anything? Uh, yeah, I actually think you did sell me on it because it sounds like the kind of small indie experience that I like. I mean, my ears were perking up whenever you were saying things like can be completed in one sitting is only four hours. You do not die. There are no penalties. I mean, <laughs> I'm all for games with like death states and combat, but like I, I like, you know, those kind of games, you know, I'm, I like to sit down with doom and shoot hell demons for a few hours as just as much as the next guy. But I also like games like this where they're like more peaceful. Um, they're more about, you know, player-paced puzzle solving. Because the whole time you've been talking about this, I've been thinking about Rhyme. Um, is this game similar to Rhyme? And I'm sorry if you said this and I was tuning out for a second, but it sounds a lot like Rhyme, but better to me. You know, it is actually very similar in um, visual style and in tone, like in terms of like that kind of um, being in a weird world, kind of learning things as you go exploring a little bit. It's not as puzzle heavy, like the puzzles are much uh, fewer and they are not quite as tricky as some of those ones in Rhyme. Um, but yeah, it's along the same lines. I think it is actually, I don't want to say it's a better experience because I really enjoyed Rhyme as well. Uh, but yeah, it's along the same lines. Like if you liked Rhyme or any of those type of um, indie, uh, you know, exploratory puzzle type of games, this is another good one. But this is also just really fucking chill. Like this is mega chill, <laughs> like just flying around. I mean, I got to be honest, like I don't usually fuck around in games. Um, I'm usually like task oriented, but it was so fun just to like walk to the edge of an island and then just drop and then just fall and fall and fall and fall and fall. And then like hit the button and she transforms into a bird and she's like swoops back up and then just <laughs> circling around and watching the camera fly around and just being airborne. Like it just really was really cool. I spent, um, I spent a good amount of time just flying and that's not something I can say about a lot of games. So if you liked what rhyme was doing, um, I think this is very much in the same vein. All right. That sounds good. This game is officially 100% on my radar. 
All right. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. All right. We got you. All right. I feel good. I'm going to be able to sleep good tonight. <laughs> well, you guys both had a winner because the mummy demastered and air. Yeah. The mummy is also amazing. So, oh, that's I true. Mean, that's true. That's true. All right. Cool. 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 Good. I'm very glad. <laughs> Dan, Dan, what do you think about air? Has I, have I sold you on this one? Oh, no. Of course. Like, that's absolutely my speed. I love chill games. I just played that one that was, you know, uh, voxel based, the same kind of thing, although it had no plot at all. It was just the experience of being a soaring bird that transformed oh, depending right. on where yeah. you flew. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that Fugle, was called... Fugle, Fugle, F-U-G-L, oh I think it's... Yeah, no, I really liked it, thought it was a stellar experience, and this is just, sounds like the same kind of thing, but much more in-depth, and I'm definitely interested. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was very interested in Fugle as well, although I gotta yeah, say Fugle's that is cool. the worst, that is the worst title I've ever heard, <laughs> F-U-G-L, Fugle, that is... A... Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tough to remember. That is 100%. awful. I wish those guys had given it a much catchier name. I know that it means bird in whatever language that it's yeah, from, uh, but, but that uh, is just an awful to English speakers. It's a weird that's choice. Title. Yeah, bad, bad choice. <laughs> so good. I'm glad that I did uh, this game some justice. I liked it a lot. Um, I might be talking about it um, at the end of December. Maybe, maybe not. We'll have to see how it ranks up. But I really enjoyed my time with it. I felt like it was very worthwhile four hours. And I'm just, I'm really thrilled that these guys were able to stick with it and they really made it a wonderful experience after working on it for so long. I know that they were, this is their first game. They don't have a lot of experience. They were all students. And this was something they've been working on for a long time, a lot of effort. Uh, I think they had some grants from like the Swedish government to keep working on it. So I'm glad it didn't go away. I'm glad that it ended up being a wonderful thing. I'm glad it's here. So if you're listening to the show, if you like what I've heard, please go check it out. It'll be available on October 25th. It'll be on PSN. Also on Xbox One, I'm pretty sure, and PC as well. So AER Air, Memories of Old. And that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> we got through our topics in short order tonight, and I'm really glad. Corey, do you think we did a nice and tight show tonight? Uh, I'll report back after I edit and uh, <laughs> let you know if it takes four times as long to edit the show like it did the last time we had a guest on. Oh dear. Ouch. Oh dear. Okay. I'll be watching oh, my inbox. Damn. All right. <laughs> Apologies in advance if we have uh, sent you to hell, but let <laughs> us know how it goes. And uh, as for now, let us go ahead and wrap the show. We'll not make any more uh, footage for you to edit. Uh, Dan, I would like to thank you very much for joining us. Um, apart from your frequent, frequent reviews at Game Critics, what are you doing? Where can folks find you online? What would you like to plug? Uh, okay. As always, I'm going to plug the hidden object guru channel you know where you can join me for hidden object games lots of other nonsense my frequent streams and right now i want to specifically plug what i'm doing for halloween halloween day i'm doing a special uh, challenge stream where i in my life played the game alone in the dark i don't know 20 times the original first survival horror alone in the dark game play that like 20 times and I had the whole game memorized. And I haven't played that game in 25 years. So what I'm doing on Halloween is I'm doing a stream of me starting the game and seeing if if I play it for the first time in 25 years, do I still remember how to beat it? Or when do I have to start looking for help? So, uh, yeah, check out that stream on October 25th, starting like, you know, 1, 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. And where can they find that? Hidden Object Guru YouTube channel. All right, excellent, excellent. Anything else you'd like to plug? And uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, GC Dan, uh, GC underscore Danny on Twitter is uh, my Twitter handle. 
Uh, other than that, you can stop by Vargelon.com where I write about the TV show Criminal Minds and other things, but mostly the TV show Criminal Minds. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for being with us, Dan. We have really enjoyed your contributions tonight. Pleasure as always. Pleasure to have you. Been a real pleasure. Um, so, uh, as usual, dear listeners, I'd like to remind you that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. You can get us uh, so video games podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a show at so video games. And you can reach us individually. Corey, sir, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter. My handle is my first and last name, Corey Motley. It is C O R E Y M O T L E Y. Excellent. And I am also on Twitter. It's at Brad Galloway, B R A D G A L L A W A Y. All A's, no O's. Not a single goddamn O in my name, folks. And with that, that brings us to the end of another So Video Games. Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week with another installment. But in the meantime, thank you very much to Dan Weisenberger. And this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. guys how's it going not bad i am Corey, how are you right. sir i'm doing good doing a, excellent excellent um i got a few things that i would like to talk about i'm sure that you guys probably have something also but um for people that don't know who you are dan i mean well hopefully people know who we are because it would be kind of sad if they got through like 54 episodes and still weren't sure who we were because that would yeah that would, <laughs> that'd get embarrassing some, fast <laughs> That would give me some uh, anxiety, I think. But, uh, Dan, you are uh, tonight's guest. Thank you very much for being on. Do you want to uh, tell people who are listening this far into the show? And if they're listening, they're probably super fans because most people are going to shut this thing off way before they get here. So, Dan, who are you? What's up? Why are you here? What's going on? Okay. Well, I'm uh, Dan Weisenberger. I write and do videos as the Hidden Object Guru, the Internet's number one destination for narrated hidden object let's plays <laughs> that is the fucking truth too dude that yeah. is so true <laughs> and uh and i have a t- hard time really bringing a, a coherent focus to the site because it's uh you know uh hidden object game let's plays and reviews and also content about manhunt and uh anything strange in japanese so it's it's all over the place really that's a lot of stuff. Now, Dan, you uh, now you are a longtime staffer at Game Critics. You're one of the backbones of the site, and yep. you also are a pretty great game player. I mean, not that you need to be a superb game player to be a critic, but you're a pretty good game player. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. At one time, were you not like either the second or the third like best person in Spelunky like on Earth? Uh, yeah. Well, I was the first person in Spelunky to cross, uh, and this is of course Spelunky, the uh, Xbox 360 version, which is the one that has come out in other systems since. Uh, PC and PS4. Uh, yeah, I was the first person to ever cross two million points, uh, and without using a, a cheat. And before the uh, the taking a blaster launcher to the city of gold was invented. So yeah, and uh, even after it was invented, I reliably made it into the top ten for scores as we competed. And uh, yeah, so I was a top tier spelunky player at one point. <laughs> 
I had to give Super. up on it because I was doing the daily challenge every single day, and that's just too much of a time commitment. So I had to sadly quit it cold turkey, which was rough because I love Spelunky. I think <laughs> oh, it was a dude, perfectly yeah. balanced game in every way. I yeah, I hear you about the time commitment. There's a few things that I have to do like a daily check in on, and I find that like one is usually not a problem, but as soon as I add like a second thing, <laughs> that. That already is tough, but then it kind of eats away at any other time for the rest of my day, which is really difficult. So I don't blame you for, for getting out. Just having Corey, to call it. Yeah. Totally, totally. Corey, do you do anything like that, like game wise, once a day? Do you have any kind of game, like little check in that you do a day? Mm, uh, no, I don't. I mean, whenever, like, I know we started playing Warframe a little bit. Well, you've been playing a lot more than I have. And the first time I booted it up, like last week or the week before, I saw that it had like the daily thing. It has like its daily item or like discount or whatever whenever you log in. But I actually haven't been checking into Warframe daily, and I don't have any. I don't have a single game that I am committed to enough to check into daily. I don't think. Oh, that's well, good. Keep it that way because it's a fucking bad <laughs> habit to pick up. And it's terrible. <laughs> I wish I could cut the cord, but. It's really tough. It's really <laughs> tough. Speaking speaking of Warframe, dude, we've been playing a lot. We got to get you back in the game. Are you still up for it? Uh yeah, I am. It just happens that every time you message me on Twitter and you're like, "Hey, we're playing tonight." Like I swear I'm like the least busy person on the planet, but every time you message me about playing, I happen to be doing something like right during that time slot. So, uh I'm pretty um I'm pretty available and it but I think it also hurts a little bit the fact that we have a 2-hour time difference between us um but i'm definitely game to play some more in the future as long as i can stop making plans right whenever you want to play <laughs> yeah man i was starting to get a complex because i'm like dude i know Corey. he's usually home and every time i message him he's like i'm busy <laughs> i'm like oh no what happened <laughs> dan do you play have you did you play warframe at all and you checked into it no i mean i've seen it it looks fantastic but i have that strict rule where i won't play anything that doesn't have an ending yeah, I don't know if it does have an ending. I know there are story missions, but I guess it kind of just like, hey, thanks, and then just keeps going. So you're probably correct on that, and that's actually a really wise, really wise policy to adopt. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you at all. So <laughs> um, we're kind of just bullshitting here, man. I mean, I, I was going to talk about some shit for banter, but like Corey, I mean Corey and Dan, you guys probably prepared some stuff. I'm assuming Dan, you're the guest. What do you what do you got a bant about? You got some banter? Yes, I do. Uh, I wanted to bring up that. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I wanted to bring up how impressed I was by a certain game, uh, a little game called, uh, uh, sorry, oh my god, uh, sorry, the headphones just, okay got, there, just, headphones right? just got tangled, sorry, uh, can I start that over? <laughs> We're, no, there's just, no editing, yeah, just keep just going, go. bro. Oh, there's no yeah. editing, I apologize. No editing. No We're editing. Doing this. Uh, We're doing this raw. <laughs> okay. All right, no, uh, no. What I was saying was, uh, I really wanted to just reassess how much I liked Light Tracer. Like the uh, the, Tracer. I just reviewed it for the site a couple of weeks ago. It's a, I, I don't know. Did either of you guys play Captain Toad? No. Treasure yes. Tracker. Yeah. Captain Toad. I could just could not get enough of. I love those missions in Super Mario 3D Worlds, and so. But then they finally made a full Captain Toad game, and that was amazing all the way through. Just a great little adventure thing, and now someone else has jumped into that genre, which would had just the one game until now, and it's this strange little game where you guide a princess around a tower, and instead of controlling her manually, you aim a beam of light at where you want her to walk, and she will follow the beam of light, and you have to navigator with jumping and swinging swords in a like normal 
3D platformer it, way. But the difference is you're sitting outside of the platform in VR and able to use your hands to spin it around as much as you please. Oh, okay. I was just about to ask you if this was VR. It, it is like VR. VR I'm sorry to yeah. I'm sorry to say, but it is VR. Now, absolutely, this game could be played in a traditional setting. Just you know, left stick for moving, right stick for spinning the camera. And I wouldn't be surprised if they release a non-VR version of it. But just as VR, it's it's great to have a little diorama in front of you that you're in complete control of. It's a wonderful effect. Right on. Right. You know, this actually reminds me of some other games because. I mean, the VR is the new thing, but, like, guiding a character like that instead of direct control is something that I feel like I've played before. Do, you, do either of you guys know what other games have done that? Because I'm sure this is not a new thing. I know I've no, it's not. Like I'm just trying to think of one. Corey, do you know by any chance? The only... This is not, a, a, like, a one-for-one one comparison, but the only game I can think of right now is... I can't even think of the name of it, but it's that awful game on the PlayStation 2 where you use the headset to tell the woman where oh, to go. Oh, to give her like, directions. <laughs> Yeah, right. oh, life, Lifeline. Is it Lifeline? Yeah, that, is that was what terrible. it was. Yeah, that was terrible. Good idea, but fuck, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was a real mess. That game did not fucking work. Well, I have to check. I'm not going to do VR. I'm I'm nowhere near no, um, the VR cliff. And Corey, last I checked with you, you were not anywhere near the VR cliff, or were you? How are you doing on that? Uh, well, I mean, I'm like 90 percent sure that at some point I'm going to end up picking up PSVR, but not. Uh, I mean, like maybe it could be a Christmas thing this year, but I have like uh, more important stuff that I'd rather like get for Christmas. Um, but I, I like want I want PSVR. I just don't have the funds for it right now. And maybe if it does, h- hits like a price drop, or maybe if I start making a little bit more money, I will. But as of right now, no. But I would like to pick up PSVR in the future. Well, especially right. because, and there's never a better time because I expect you to die. What I you know think is. Maybe the second best game on the PSVR. <laughs> I can't just get like, enough yeah, what, of. What, what a rude asshole. We just invited him on our show, and he's like telling Corey to die. Like, get off no. the show, Dan. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic game, and they just added a fifth mission today. Like, they just finally put out some DLC, and it's just a free... People were worried because it's a $25 game, which is a lot of money for just four missions, even though they're you know endlessly replayable. I've played the game like 30 hours or something crazy like that. And but just because they're aware of people's complaints, they just today put out a fifth mission for that twenty five dollars. And so that's just five dollars per escape room, which find an escape room experience for less than, you know, ten dollars. You're not going to. This is five of them for like twenty bucks. It's perfect. How is it replayable though? Doesn't aren't you just doing the same thing over and over? I mean what's Well no, but that's the trick is there's like five ways to get past every obstacle in the mission and the game is challenging you to find them all there's collectibles to pick up there's speed runs to do like how fast can you get through all of the steps of the puzzle and it's just there's plenty of stuff to do beyond just completing the escape rooms i mean that's oh, always fun but there's a lot more content beyond that all right cool 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 so dan i don't know have you listened to our show before you can yes. say yes even if you haven't okay. I, I have listened to your show before <laughs> It'd be awkward if you said no. Let's just go with yes. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you probably know, if you don't know, just say that you do know, that we do talk about like non-game shit too. So do you have anything non-game that you want to talk about? Anything, oh, yeah. anything going up in Canada oh. way? Well, not in Canada way per se, but uh, I do have a, uh, um, I do have a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a little note. Well, I guess it is really Canada way. Uh, one of our, our great musicians died in the past week. Gordania, oh, the tragically yeah. hip, and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he was just uh it was this wonderful moment we had where uh our, our prime minister went and gave a speech about Gord Downey and how important he was to the whole country and how important he was to the our natural cultural lexicon and he uh he ended up actually crying during it and I'm and we all as a country we split down to two camps which was uh people who said that that wasn't a manly thing to do and people who were like thank god we have just this open and accessible prime minister like a guy who really seems to care about things uh we live next to america of course and we're pretty terrified right now so anything <laughs> that anything that makes our guy seem like as far from your guy as possible just makes us relax a little like just to see let someone me, let me legitimately let me we live in america we are fucking terrified right now <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i just wanted to say that it was it was a beautiful moment for our country it was a, it was and i think that is both politics and and culture so there you go well let me ask you something before i ask you a follow-up Corey. so did you hear about um gord downey dying do you know who he is or have you heard of the the tragically hip at all uh i've heard of the tragically hip but I wasn't. I've been very tuned out of the news lately because um, the news is just too much lately. So I've been trying to like not be in the cycle of stuff as much. So I haven't really heard about this. I saw, I think, a video clip on Twitter of Canada's prime minister like tearing up at the press conference, but I didn't read like what it was about or who it was or anything. So I'm not really that familiar with the whole music situation and the, this specific person who died. So I don't know. I mean, I had heard of the tragically hip. I think they had like one song that kind of got like American airplane popular. Yeah. Uh, which one, which one? I don't know. Um, uh, they, they have a bunch, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and try and list <laughs> Oh yeah, well, we, uh, I mean, yeah. The only one that I remember was like I think it was like when I was like in high school and I heard of them and I'm like, oh, okay, this sounds okay. And then they kind of vanished and like I don't really know anybody in America who really like knows them or anything about them. But everybody who's Canadian uh, and that I follow on Twitter was like losing their shit. Like people yeah. were super upset and I'm like, wow, it's so weird that there's this guy who like I don't even really know anything about him other yeah. than he's in some band and then like cross the border which to me is only like you know three hours away and then all of a sudden people are like it's like a national yeah tragedy i mean like how i mean like just really quickly you don't have to get too much into this but like are they like canada's beatles or like what is no the, they're what not is like the canada beatles they're just well no i think a closer equivalent it's hard because they did have more of a, an indie sound to them so it's not like they're the beatles they're not overproduced but they're in this weird position where it's like they're in a bit our Nirvana because of the time it happened in the late 80s and throughout the 90s for the kids of that generation. But in another way, they speak to the culture of the country in a Bruce Springsteen kind of way. So if you could imagine sort of halfway between the two. So guys who really so, <laughs> have stuff to say about the culture of Canada, but are also have that completely indie feel and are still a rock band. Nirvana fronted by Bruce Springsteen. So that, that sounds kind like a pretty of good thing. And I mean, <laughs> I probably oversold it, but the fact is, it's just, um, it's a huge amount of amazing music. I mean, they did a, uh, they did a farewell concert last year that was just one of the best con. I mean, I wish I could have gone to see it, but of course, you know, like that, that thing was only for the super fans who traveled across country to get there. Uh, and sure, the prime minister sure. went to that too, because, you know, he's, he's a kid of that age. 
And he's also the prime minister. He's also the prime minister. It's a huge national thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't get taste of that. I mean, what the fuck good is it to be the prime minister? No, no, you're absolutely right. I know, but I mean, it's like, that's the kind of cultural significance we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm gonna try to wrestle with that in my head. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> Google some things. I'm gonna YouTube a few things. We'll get we'll we'll circle back on this later on. Okay. Corey, Corey, what's up, man? Uh, we're kind of banting right now, dude. What do you got? What do you got to bant? What's up? What's up on the banter? Um, I don't really have anything too exciting to talk about. Um, I do want to note that today is, if I remember correctly, because thank goodness for fucking Facebook memories, like reminding me of stuff that happens one and two and three and five and seven years ago. Um, if I'm not mistaken today is the two year anniversary of me making my guest star debut on the game critics podcast, where we talked about Soma and about your favorite game, the beginner's guide, Brad. Oh my God. Was it really only two years ago? That feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, that is what, I think Facebook told me today. Hopefully I'm not mistaken on that. That feels like so much further in the past. Back. I mean, it's probably correct. I mean, I don't keep track of those things. And my memory is, you know, notoriously faulty. So it's probably correct. I mean, uh, Zuckerberg probably knows more about me than I do. So <laughs> Zuckerberg. That's his name, right? Isn't that guy? Yeah, it is. Isn't it? No, no, yeah. His name is Zuckerberg. You, you <laughs> yeah, had that right. one right. Okay. So I guess... Let's do some let's do some soul searching, Corey. Let's do some reflection. How have you grown and matured as a person in the last two years because of the Game Critics podcast? Uh, well, I remember whenever I was a young lad and I was just starting to write a Game Critics, and I would listen to that was whenever I was actually taking care of myself and I was going to the gym all the time, and I would listen to Game Critics podcast at the gym, and I always thought to myself like because I wasn't really writing a whole lot at that time maybe like one review every few months or something and I remember thinking like man I'd really like to be on the Game Critics podcast like that's something that I really like want to do and it was something that I really like strived for and then I was officially allowed my first guest spot on the Game Critics podcast and I actually really enjoyed that show I think we had a really good time I had the pressure of describing what the beginner's guide was as my first time on the podcast, which is not an easy thing to do, but I think I did pretty well. And uh, I think uh, like a month or two after that, uh, actually, I think it was maybe like Jan- like really early January or late December. I was a guest on again because we did like the post game of the year show. I wasn't on the game of the year show, but I was on like the wrap up like post show where we talked about some other stuff. And then I think the following year, I made my debut on the actual Game Critics Game of the Year show, and that was where I sort of, like, felt like I had, like, made it, and I, like, was on the Game of the Year show, and I was, like, a big deal now. And now we've been doing our show for an entire year, about a year, almost exactly, um, of the So Video Games podcast. So, I mean, I'm not going to pretend, like, um, I don't know, that, that it's gotten old or something because like podcasting hasn't gotten old it's always like a fun new you know exciting thing to talk about every week and because it's standard uh you know or standardized where we do it just about every week um maybe you know skipping a day or two that um I don't know it's gotten regular I guess is the word but it's still exciting and I still feel um like I don't know like proud or something that I actually am like co-hosting a podcast every week and I just remember like thinking back to little old me like thinking like man I'd really like to be on the Game Critics podcast one day and now like 
I run my own fucking podcast and I produce it and I edit it. And thank goodness you're here with me, Brad, to co-host every week because I think think we're pretty lucky to run a show together and I'm really happy that we get to. Aww. That was wonderful. Yes. (laughs) And now I'm imagining pictures of like little lad Corey like in knee shorts and a little cap (laughs) running around and joshing and, you know, getting into hijinks and stuff now. Well, I feel the same way. I uh, I think this has been a great show. Uh, really, really enjoyed. It. You know that we've said this a million times. You know how I feel. Would not be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. So, echo those sentiments, and I'm really glad that we are where we are. Taking a sip of my coffee here, and that was very sweet of you to say. Uh, anything else on your um, plate tonight, man? Banter? Your banter dish? Uh, I don't think so. I'm gonna try to not to rush things, but I'm gonna try to keep it keep it tight tonight um so i don't really have much <laughs> i don't have much else to talk about i don't think there was a joke that could be made there but we're not going to make that because dan's no. on tonight and we're being nice so we're going to very that thoughtful joke. of you <laughs> yeah. just be brisk i'll put it that way it's hard to right, uh I'll... it's hard to find a pornographic pun around brisk or yeah. is it <laughs> listeners you've just been challenged that's right email dan weisenberger at no <laughs> I'll jump into my shit real quick, and then we will get this show on the road. Um, For me, I went to the Retro Game Expo this last weekend. I've talked about it, I think. Maybe I talked about it one time before on the show. I'm not sure. It's a yearly thing, so maybe it would have happened right after we had started the show, possibly. Um, It's always a good time. Happens in Portland. Not a whole lot to say, except for it's it's just always a fun thing. I like to go every year. Um, you see a whole bunch of free play arcade games and pinball machines set up. There's all sorts of uh, arts and crafts and T-shirts and posters. And a lot of it's like really original stuff that uh, people make, which is really cool. I mean, people are so talented. We bought a couple posters and uh, some shirts that were custom. And it was just really cool. So that was really fun. Got to see uh, some folks down there. It's always a good time. So, yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing new, but just heads up that the Retro Game Expo in Portland exists usually happens about this time every year if you haven't been you should go if you're in the area for sure you should go uh but yeah so that happened also um a couple other things real quick i went to go see aladdin the broadway production uh, uh at the uh paramount theater in seattle last night are either one of you guys uh broadway fans not particularly i'm sad to say i mean i i you know hamilton but that doesn't that's not all of Broadway. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Corey, do you watch any 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 musicals like that? Uh, I've seen uh, Spring Awakening went on a U.S. tour when I was in college, and I saw Spring Awakening. But I'm actually, um, I like, I don't mind the idea of theater. I actually really enjoy theater, and I like reading plays. But I just don't really like musicals that much. I would rather go see like an intimate like black box theater play rather than see like a big spectacular like musical uh, production but uh I, i'm not averse to it but i just if i'm gonna go to the theater i like to see like like dramas i guess or like kind of smaller productions rather than like big explosive musicals gotcha gotcha well i'm not i mean i like certain musicals i'm not like I don't like every musical, but my wife is a huge musical fan, so she kind of got me into it. And I like a lot of the peppier things, a lot of the bigger things. I think I'm definitely more on the spectacle side. Although I do enjoy, like, regular plays and stuff. I mean, I'll watch anything, any theater. It's always interesting. Um, But we went to go see Aladdin last night. This was my son's, my eight-year-old's first stage production ever, and my wife was really excited to take him. This was, like, a big moment for her because she's, uh, being the theater head that she is, she was really looking forward to, like, you know, 
having a child and instilling her values and sharing this special <laughs> thing um, with him. So that was a big moment. We went to go see it last night. Um, good and bad. The good, the show was awesome. I mean, it was exactly like Aladdin the movie, except there were a few big changes. So, like, I don't, have you guys seen Aladdin the Disney movie, right? Yes, of yeah? course. No? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Corey? Okay, so, you know, in the movie Aladdin, he has his best friend Abu the monkey, right? Yeah. Yes. So, you cannot do monkeys on a stage because you don't know what they're going to do. They don't sing very well. There's no way that's going to work, right? So, they totally did a few changes where Abu was replaced by three other street urchin guys who were his friends. So, instead of Aladdin the monkey, it was Aladdin and his three friends. So, that was kind of weird. I mean, it was good. It was funny. But unexpected. And the other big change was that uh, Jafar, the bad guy, his uh, second in command is Iago the parrot, right? So same thing. You cannot have a parrot on stage. It just sits there, gets scared by the lights, by the people, the crowds, <laughs> bites somebody, whatever. So they swap. Wait, wait. Can I Iago. make a guess? The yeah, actual Il- Iago from Othello? Who gets like, mm-hmm. builds his own Renaissance time machine, goes back and gets involved in the adventures. <laughs> That's it, right? That is literally not it at all, but you were very close. Oh No, they replaced it with this uh, little guy. So he was played by a a, a guy who was a very good toady or kind of sidekick or whatever. He had a really funny voice. He looked funny on purpose. You know, they dressed him kind of goofy and stuff. And so it was weird to see the animal characters replaced by people. And otherwise, it was pretty much Aladdin like you would think, except for the added some extra songs to kind of make it a little bit longer. Um, The... The main songs from the movie were really good. The fill-in songs were not terrible, but they were not great. And I have a feeling they were written by, like, a really, really old songwriter. Because some of the references they made in that song were just, like, fucking ancient. Like, I I only know what they even were because I'm such a geek and I, you know, know things. But, like, in one of the lines they were referencing things like 23 Skidoo and Mutt and Jeff. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's ancient. <laughs> Ancient. Nobody knows what that stuff is. Kids these days certainly don't know. So I think they should have found somebody younger to write those songs. But that was really cool. And I got to say, the thing that was really amazing about this play was the production values were through the roof. Um, When Aladdin gets to the Cave of Wonders on stage, I was really wondering how how that was going to look. It looked phenomenal. Like it was the inside of a cave and it was all metallic and it was huge. And these piles of gold that had different things that moved and they... um, Stuff happened to them and things moved around. I mean, lights uh, went off and fireworks and stuff. It looked really, really fucking good. It was really, really impressive. And even more impressive than that was when um, Aladdin and uh, Jasmine have their big moment on the flying carpet. You know, everybody remembers that song, uh, Whole Whole New New World. World from Totally, right? So I'm like, well, how are they going to do that? It's going to be weird, right? They totally rigged up this flying carpet, which was, I mean, it must have been on wires. I don't know how else they would have done it. But they turned off all the lights and they had this really starry background and they flew like all around the stage, like up and down and around. It looked amazing. Like it looked really, really good. So I, I mean, hats off to the um, the special effects crew. They did a, a, an amazing job. I just was blown away by how much they got done on that stage and how, how faithful to the movie it was in so many ways. So. Very, very good. Um, I do want to say, like, kind of one negative to the show, though. And I'm going to just diverge a little bit here. So, um, my wife is a larger woman. And uh, I prefer them that way, by the way. Uh, So, we go to the show, and we want to buy her a shirt. And 
they don't sell shirts for bigger girls at this show, which is crazy because if you've ever been to a Broadway show, and I don't mean to generalize here in a negative way, but like half the audience is big girls. Like that's just, that's just how it is. So I don't understand why they didn't have any shirts that would fit anybody that was larger than an extra small European size. I mean, they showed us the women's t-shirts and like, I would not have fit in one. So like, I don't know how anybody of a normal size was going to fit in one. And it just seemed really fucked up and shitty to me. Also, my son wanted an Aladdin shirt. They had like the guy shirt, which was obviously like darker colors, really drab front. You know, it said Aladdin, but like nothing fancy. And then they had one that was purple that had sparkles and spangles in the shape of the genie lamp. And my son's like, oh, I want that one. And they only had it like in little teeny tiny girl sizes. Oh. And luckily he's he's like eight, so he could still fit. And I'm like, all right, give me the biggest one you got because this is the one he wants. And it's fucked up that you guys don't have shirts that are for both genders like why do you have to gender the fucking shirts like not yeah. only did you gender the shirts you're size shaming people who are like your biggest audience so like i totally didn't get that at all so that was a real big fucking disappointment because my son was the only one who got a shirt and that's just fucked up i mean people who are running these shows should really understand who their audience is and like who supports the arts and like that people come in different sizes and shapes and yeah yeah it was fucked up that was really disappointing so the show itself was great uh, the merchandising was not great and it was really messed up. But anyway, um, that's what I have to talk about. I think that's going to do it for me. Anybody have any other random bullshit we want to talk about before we get the show on the road? I think that's it. All right. Corey? Uh, Brad, I just want to say bless your son. Bless his heart for wanting the sparkly purple shirt. That really speaks to me. Oh, my God. He looks fantastic in it. And I will tell you straight up, I would have bought one of the motherfuckers if I could have fit. <laughs> you know, I totally would have bought one. But oh. it was like they held up the shirts and they're like, oh, these are European. Uh, here's like they run. They run from like medium to extra small. And I'm like, are you who the wow. fuck are you talking to? Why the fuck? What? It medium was, tiny, to like, extra small. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, oh, are you terrible. Only sell- it was like they were only selling shirts to little girls. And it was like, oh, my boys want God. shirts. I'm a man. I want a fucking shirt with fucking sparkles on it. It was, it was bullshit, but oh. he looks great. He looks great. I'll send you a picture for it. It's really cute. So, all right. I think we are all banted out and I think it's probably time to start the show. What do you think, gentlemen? Good to go. Let's do it. Let's do it. And let the show begin. Let's do it.